0: movie podcast for the other woman my name is tom chick and i am here with christian
1: Min- Minjajski. hey i got a name usually i'm just dr not so smart
0: and with our other woman tagline Taiwan.
2: uh it's like transcendence but with more computers
0: is there an alternate tagline, or is it? Yeah, a, yeah, okay. Oh, good. With an alternate tagline for the other woman, Kelly Wand. Uh,
2: she doesn't read paperwork. He doesn't read smoothie ingredients. <laughs> that, that one's okay.
0: I'm, I'm into that one. Uh, it's listen.
2: like a Blake Edwards movie without the jokes. That was my
0: Kelly idea. Wand. Why didn't you lead with that? Hey, that's, that's the a one. Good one? <sighs> Kelly Wand, always trust your instinct.
2: Yeah, we should have workshopped. Transcendence that. with more computers was the worst of those. I guess you're right, actually. All right, disregard.
0: Uh, before we think- talk about the other woman, though, because maybe you haven't seen it, you don't want to hear spoilers, uh, Dingus, you, did, you, you made a point to say before we recorded, hey, let's do a, a trailer thing, because I have something I want to say about a trailer. So, Dingus, we don't normally watch trailers. Apparently, you watched one, you have something to say about it. What's up with that?
1: Uh, I did not watch a trailer, but oh. um, I got into, you know, we went to a couple movies this weekend, I think I saw three movies in a theater this weekend, which is a banner weekend for me, um, and uh, went to a double feature. I mean, it's, it's that's a big deal. It's a big deal when you have a kid to work out seeing three movies in one weekend.
0: Especially and when he didn't go to any of them.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, yeah. if, that, if he's with you, then it's that's less of an achievement. Yeah,
0: he did not see Only Lovers Left Alive, Under the Skin, or The Other Woman, believe it or not. right.
2: Mean. And he mm. is not.
1: We didn't see anything involving the word Rio at all. Um, so, but uh, in the double feature that we went to, I walked into the theater during a, uh, a trailer that was already going on for a movie called uh, I Origins. I think is how you pronounce <laughs> it. Um, what, are you, what are you giggling about?
2: Because I have no idea what you're going to say next. Um, I'm okay. well, I, I Origins. Wait, well, what, I comma origins it's like just, that's the dude's
1: name no it's more like iRobot, but there there's a space between i and origins just i origins i have no idea what it there's is
2: space and iRobot too
1: but I, just, I i walk just. into the theater and and as most of you know most of the two of you know uh i don't watch trailers i am very careful about that and i usually don't walk into a theater while trailers are playing so
2: uh, i walk kept it up. what'd you say But if the word origins comes up on screen. (laughs) Well, no, uh, as I
1: as I walked in and and if you can sort of like visualize like walking into the theater, like up to the up the side aisle in the (laughs) theater, I saw all I saw on the screen was from the blah, blah, blah of another earth. Directly. So uh, I, I didn't particularly care for Another Earth, but I saw a lot there that I liked. So I immediately realized I can't look at what's going on on the screen. So I had to negotiate my way up the stairs to my seat uh, while, prete- while not looking at the screen and trying not to hear it. So the, the whole trailer went on. I heard things about eyes. That's all I heard. And then it ended, and I unplugged my ears, and this long row of people – there's like six or seven people in front of us – uh, watching this, uh, the, there to see this movie that we were there to see, and one of them goes, "Netflix." <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. Was after after he had watched the trailer for Eye Origins, the, the dude at the end of the row of people that he had shepherded in to see Under the Skin said, "Netflix." That's all.
2: Wait, does he mean? Because maybe it's only available on Netflix.
1: No, what or what he Jesus means is, French and this is the same thing that happened when I went to see The Matrix and uh, the 13th Floor trailer played. Somebody yelled out, <laughs> rent it! And so this is the modern version oh, of rent it. rent it. It was uh, some dude going, Netflix.
2: Netflix That's is right. the new Rent 2.0. Wait, 13th Floor came out first. That's So your whole story falls apart. Just like I unplugged it. Boom. Um... Did you see the Jason
0: Segel movie preview? Uh, sex tape, bad sex, sex tape. tape. <laughs> yeah. I think it should be called, in the tradition of bad teacher, they should have just gone with bad sex tape. It should be
2: like Did a you see the Zach. You know what? I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you're weird for making us all see a romantic comedy because you thought Leslie Mann was hot in The Change Up. But I get to see previews like the Zach Braff one.
0: Zach Efron or Zach Braff? Braff. There's, a, there's a movie called Neighbors. A, oh, there's a Zach Braff uh, movie. I don't know anything about that.
2: It's with the guy with the same last name, Braff, and then he wears a space helmet, and
0: then I think someone has cancer in it. Okay. Uh, I don't know what that is, but uh, when it comes out, we'll be sure to see it. How's that? Wait,
1: are you talking about the Shailene
0: Woodley movie? No. Alright. What's that? Now I'm not. I'm sure I'm not. So Shailene Woodley is in. It looks kind of sundancy but I'm actually eager to see it. There's a. a it looks like a romantic comedy called uh, Fault in Our Stars, but the twist being that she, she has cancer. I mean, it's pretty upfront. About oh yeah, that. I, I did. See that. Um, but I, I just want to see that because it looks like it's more about her than that awful, spectacular Now movie where it was about that douchebaggy Miles Teller character, uh, <laughs> and instead she just got to tag along around the periphery. It looks like this time. It's mainly about her, and they're going to let some young, handsome kid actor nobody's seen before. Actually, he's been in a couple things, but they're just going to let him orbit around her, which is the way it should be, because she's excellent.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Did you see the Step Up
0: trailer? The dance movies? that? Yeah. What are you talking about? Is there a new one? Yeah, there's a new one. They're awesome. Really- Who's in
2: it? Is Anyone we know of? No, it's always a different cast, which is always weird.
0: So I think Channing Tatum like, was in a couple of them, and I think Brianna Evigan might have even been in two of them. Am I wrong about that?
2: I've never seen one.
0: Oh, Kelly Wand! <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't thought, either, is what I meant to say. I don't know anything about those movies. <laughs> I thought Sharni Vincent was in one.
2: Sharni Vincent was in one, yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that one yet.
0: Kelly Wand, you need to get to work. There's some step-up movies that, I mean, they're all terrible, but... There's a certain energy to them that, uh, without fail, kind of can come through. That's the one thing. Wait listen. until you get a 3D TV. Don't wait. <laughs> just go out and see them. It just seems weird to watch people dance to me. Like that's a strange. Well, there's drama between the dancing to give some context to. But it's this. all that's all dance theme drama. Even like you ain't dance with me, motherfucker. Like this is shit like that. It's like. Well, fortunately, we've got Clint Eastwood coming along, adapting a Broadway musical to show us how it's done with Jersey <laughs> Boys. oh god I saw that thing Uh, so enough about trailers let's talk about Uh, real movies especially real movies that trailers led us to see although Uh. I probably would have wanted to see this even if I hadn't uh, seen the trailer Um, so this week Dingus, what did we see don't ruin anything the Don't trailer
2: away. gave away everything, I thought.
0: That's, That's what tra- trailers do, Kelly Wand. and if you haven't figured that out by now, you should watch more
2: trailers. No, no, I'm just saying I'm surprised that that trailer made you want to see the movie. Like, oh, I know everything that
0: happens, and I better check it out and make sure. Uh, the trailer didn't make me want to see the movie so much as the cast made me want to see the movie. Um, the trailer <sighs> so, just kind of reaffirmed for me, yeah, you know what, I, I guess I would go see that. Um, hmm. Okay. I also watched the trailer for the other Cameron Diaz thing with Jason Siegel that we did. I did watch the sex tape trailer. I didn't think, oh, I want to see that. but
2: uh, It starts out good, and then you, you go, oh, it's all about them trying to, trying to destroy the internet before the sex tape gets out. Now you're making me want to see it again.
0: Uh, Dingus, what did we see <laughs> <this week>,
2: though? <laughs> we
0: saw the cloud. Sad. What's the cloud?
1: Can somebody tell me what the cloud is? It's
2: the cloud. Oh, The cloud. That's your PG-13 in action right there.
1: All right, so this week we saw The Other Woman. Not women. Women. Women's. A uh, 2014 comedy Cismance movie about How Hell Hath No Fury. It was directed by Nick Cassavetes and mm. written by Melissa Stack. It stars Leslie Mann. Mm. <laughs> Cameron Diaz.
2: Mm, yeah. Uh-huh. That's good.
1: Taylor Kinney. Ooh. Uh, that's oh, great.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, that's
1: uh, fair, Mr. Nikolai Nicol- Koster-Valdau. And okay. Nicki Minaj. Why
0: Nicole- are you leaving Kate Upton out? She's one of the other women, Dingus. <laughs> She's in the trailer for three hours. <laughs> yeah. When you play it slow enough.
1: <laughs> She's in the movie for three hours as well. Uh, the other woman is rated PG-13 on appeal for mature thematic material, sexual references, and language.
2: Hmm. No sum? <laughs>
1: so uh, this this movie was seriously. actually uh, rated R at first. Um, oh, Fox, it showed. Fox went back to the MPAA. That's why it's 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 listed, when you look at it, it's listed as on appeal, uh, but they won their appeal. So it was originally rated R uh, because of the sexual content, but uh, Fox went back and uh, made an appeal to the MPAA, and they got reconsideration after their initial R, and they got down to a PG-13 because so many more people will see the other woman now and would have because it was an R.
0: Yeah. Did they cut material, Dingus, or is appeal just you mean tell. they they sent it? They're like, no, look, watch it again. Like, no, was I, it was it changed? No,
1: I don't think they changed any content okay. because mainly it was just sexual uh, references, and uh, they just went back to the MPAA and said. Uh, look, these references. There's no language. There's none of those normal things. There's no. You watched it wrong. Yeah, you watched it wrong. Was essentially what <laughs> happened. So they, they, so when it's listed as what the rating is, it's re, it's listed as on appeal.
0: So Kelly Wan, what we've learned here is that the MPAA can be flexible and thoughtful in when they issue ratings, and they to admit. It's, and sometimes it takes longer to be arbitrary
2: than other times. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> they. Well, and just in comedies, I thought you want the R rating. Like Hangover was R. Like aren't Animal House was R. Like aren't all the great comedies R rated?
0: Um, was Bridesmaids R? I don't think so. I think, so. I think it was just like for it? language.
2: Yeah, that's oh, what I'm, that's, what I'm, that's okay. actually a perfect example of it. Okay.
0: Oh, was there was there nakedness in Bridesmaids? No. A little no. bit. Who was naked? Uh, was Was Twenty One Jump Street rated R? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Kevin, you've won me over. I think I've won this point.
2: <laughs> That's why it's weird to me because those are all those are all financial successes and a lot of them critical successes too. So it's not like an R rating fucks a comedy
0: over. And this well, movie's about sex. Let's America. consider was this a, a financial success. Let's have a look at it real quick to find out. Well done. Oh look, it was. It opened at number one. It beat Captain America finally, uh, and it made a very healthy twenty-five million on its opening. But nothing event. else is out. We um, the fact we had to go see it. Whether it, was nothing out. else is out, I mean, other things were out, but twenty-five million, it, it did better than expected. Uh, this movie, I think, is is going to do very well um it, it also uh, I think the conventional wisdom is it it once again demonstrates the viability of what might traditionally be written off as a chick flick as a commercial property basically hey women people want to see movies about women as well um, that's the takeaway the guys uh, will come out now. well that's actually commercially enough if we look critically at how it did let's let 's take a look there on Metacritic, which is the average from various <laughs> reviews uh the <laughs> other woman is at thirty nine If we look at Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, the other woman, 25%. Uh, A cool one in three – or one in four. Let me redo my math. One in four (laughs) reviews were like, yeah, I liked it. The other three were like, nope. Didn't like it. Yep. No, you didn't like it, they said. 75% of them were like, nope. (laughs) No, you didn't.
2: Wait, seventy five percent wrote see I don't even know how they get never mind he gives a shit about the numbers. But
0: Kelly Wan, let's go to the the pros. Why don't you break down for us the events that happened in the other woman with an other womanopsis? <laughs> Is that too easy? How about other womopsis? Did you womanopsis? mean
2: prose S E pros? S-E, pros?
0: <laughs> a prof- professional prose. Alright, pro- I'm sorry. Pros your- by a pro, Kelly Wan. With the other womopsis. Am I close? These aren't really pro.
2: But what was your... No, that's not correct. Dingus, thoughts? The other Wopsis? Mm, See, Dingus is better at it than you, but I I don't think you're really trying. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: the other Wopsis. Oh. It's kind of what Dingus said, but uh, whatever you want to call it. But
1: I I was being more insensitive to Italians. Right. Bridesmaids was rated R, but...
0: See? By the way, uh, Kelly, next time you do a, a Bay Ling voice and Dinkus takes umbrage, you can point out that he made a joke about the word "wop." You've got yeah. that, like, like put that one in the chamber. Then he pointed it out,
1: too. But I'm Italian. I don't forget. Rossi uh, is I totally see. an
2: Italian name. <laughs> <laughs> the other whoops us. Cameron Diaz and Jamie Lannister are about to have sex in a hotel room. She's all, wait. He's all, oh, you said wait? That can only mean you want to talk instead of have sex. What am I again, a professional startup failure? This isn't a wedding ring, by the way. She's all, no, I meant, wait, I got my necklace and my dress mixed up or something. He's all, oh, is that the punchline? She's all, I don't know. Do we at least get to see the sex? They slowly turn to shoot confused looks over at the craft services table that's sitting in the director's chair. After a few minutes, the table raises a bullhorn and goes, And cut! Yes! Awesome! Suck it, Bond movie openings. Now let's try one more for safety without the chemistry. The screen's all the other
3: woman.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was a fantastic interpretation of a title card. You've never done it that well before. (laughs) The screen's all the other woman
2: with a bunch of exclamation points, and plays some music, that's all. You thought that was crazy. What do you see what Kate Upton does with binoculars. <laughs> some helicopter footage of New York's all. This is a few thousand feet above where the next couple scenes after this montage take place. That's what that shot said. Jamie Lannister takes her to the most romantic balcony railing in the city and goes, Well, Cameron, we've been having sex for eight weeks, so I got you this box. I guess you can open it later Off screen, Happy anniversary. By the way, at ten weeks, you get nothing. When can I meet your parents? I want them to know we've been fucking. She's all, Yeah, that'll be fun. Come meet my dad in Connecticut. His name's Don Johnston. He gives me advice on what to wear to have sex in. You'll like him. I think my mom's dead or just not interested in my sex life. A guy gives them a Porsche as they drive in circles around Leslie Mann while she has her back turned. He's all, by the way, I know I pitched it a couple seconds ago, but I can't ever meet your dad. But especially whenever we were supposed to do it, because I got to go to the Bahamas to steal. I mean, cheat on. I mean, go to the gym. Do you still want to stay in the car with me? No, I'm upset. Okay, bye. He pulls into his bathroom and stops brushing his teeth. After a few minutes, Leslie Mann comes in. She's all, hey, honey, I came up with yet another idea to make a billion dollars. It's called Brain Camp. All you need to do is eat some bacon, and it makes your head explode. Only we'll charge people to do it in tents and cabins near forest fires and moose. Isn't that neat? Here we are, married. He's all, cool, hey, sign these papers real quick while you give me a hand job. Uh, Also, I got to work late every night for the next six months to have sex with Cameron Diaz. I mean something else. She's all, hmm, I don't know. Maybe I should read paperwork before signing it. I guess I could just read it right now instead of sounding doubtful. But uh, uh. He's all, look, I'm not cheating on you. Or at least I don't consider it cheating. And this isn't stealing. I mean, not me stealing because your name's on it, which I guess I could just forge. Look, would I get all these papers for you to sign if I didn't used to like having sex with you? Jamie Lannister dumbly forgets he told Cameron Diaz where he lives, and she dumbly forgets to have gone there before. While Jamie Lannister's presumably somewhere else, on her dad's advice, Cameron Diaz shows up on his porch with a papier-mâché heel and a plunger to discuss their breakup. Leslie Mann sees the plunger and Cameron's whorish aspect and goes, Hey, let's be friends. I can't wait to tell my brother all this. Then she trashes every room in the house, but luckily Jamie Lannister doesn't notice because he's at the gym. Her brother comes over to paint the books in the library. She's all, didn't I trash this room? The brother's all, my sister's husband's cheating on her, man. If I was in this movie more, I'd kick his ass. Unless you got a plan. She's all, yeah, me and a couple of his other mistresses are going to poison and rob him. He's all cool. Mission Impossible music plays while Leslie Mann parks. Then she pretends she's a contortionist in the bushes to make the gardeners lose interest. (laughs) And drive away without saying anything. They see by using cardboard on the Eclipse that Jamie Lannister's fucking Kate Upton. Jamie Lannister's all, I gotta go to the gym. He takes off. Then Kate Upton gets up and runs down the beach in slow motion while nobody else on the beach watches. Leslie Mann and Cameron Diaz run with her in slow motion until the music stops. Leslie Matt, and Cameron Diaz fall over, but since the ocean's really quiet on the beach, Kate Upton hears them hit the sink, <laughs> turn feet away, and runs all the way back to them. She's all, are you okay? I've never heard people fall on a shoreline before. And if they laugh or they're wrestling, I always investigate, no matter how far away I am. They explain by the camera cutting away. They all get a bungalow together and talk off screen about the plot. Then Kate Upton's all wow, Jamie Lannister's been at the gym forever. I better get back to my beach chair and act normal by having sex with him for the rest of the day. But I'll swing by and spend the night with you guys. He'll probably need to go to the gym again or Miami. Leslie Mann's brother takes Cameron Diaz to show her a bunch of lumber and bag <laughs> concrete. You <He's all laughs> saw. This actually happened in the movie, <laughs> by the way. This part's not embellished, but... He's all, this is my favorite part of the house. She's <laughs> there's a cool part in Cool as Ice where they go on a construction site. They kind of reminded me of this scene. I don't
1: know in if those days. words, there's a cool part in Cool as Ice, have ever been said...
2: Where Vanilla Ice takes the smart girl, and he shows her, like, the streetways by the (laughs) the construction site, and just, like, run around. It's really good. She's all, wow, who are you building this house for? He's all, eh. Although, according to the end credits, us. She's all, man, this gazebo would be amazing. You should put a coffee table in it, although it would suck if there was a window over there and the sun was shining through it. I fucking hate sunlight, my coffee. He's all, I'm in the scene with you, saying dialogue. (laughs) Kate Upton's all, hey, guys, mind if I smoke? She looks at the audience and goes, don't worry, Tom, it's PG-13. But we just want to let all you 13-year-olds out there know that some girl smoking happened off-screen. It's part of our characters. Eventually, everybody moves back to New York and the pace slows back down again. (laughs) (laughs) After all that crazy beach shit fucking blew our minds. (laughs) Slow down. Wait, too much going on. What? There's music playing. Jamie Lannister's there. It's cheating. Leslie Mann decides to get a bigger divorce settlement through lotions and poisons. One morning in the shower, Jamie Lannister's all, Oh my God, I have all this brunette hair in my hands, even though none of my hair's missing in any of my shots. Somebody call a comic payoff specialist quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. JK. Cameron Diaz's dad takes his daughter and her blonde friend, Kate Upton, to a place where Asian girls do everything hand-related for you. <laughs> MPAA. <laughs> but instead of anything happening, they talk about banking. Stupid MPAA. They go to another beach resort, or the same one again, while music plays. Leslie Manzal... Damn, the laxative made him shed all of the estrogen smoothies, so now his boobs are normal sized. Note to self teach gastrointestinal revenge 101 at brain camp, huh? Kate Upton's all. What are normal sized boobs? (laughs) They party with the 2,000 chicks poolside who are all also sleeping with Jamie Lannister. Then, lastly, man. Lastly, (laughs) man. Lastly, men. What's her name, Tom? That would be Leslie Mann Apatow. Oh, wait. They're hitched,
0: <laughs> aren't they? Well, I guess that makes sense, actually, huh? Well. No, she didn't take his last name, though.
2: Then Leslie Mann throws both her wedding rings into the ocean, but it bounces off the blue emerald from Titanic and Tom Cruise's keys. He threw away in Top Gun and uh, hits her in the eye. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> After the movie runs out of music, they trick Jamie Lannister by getting him to forget what glass (laughs) twice. And also trick him into parking his car in a red zone, and also forgetting everything. He's all, now what else dumb could happen to me (laughs) comeuppance-wise? Don Johnson teleports into view and goes, I had a hunch my daughter would be robbing you this morning and you'd park here. This punch in the face is for having sex with her. And also a a semi-retarded 18-year-old I'm also having sex with. Spoiler alert. And don't even think about taking legal action against me. My daughter and I are both lawyers. Some music's all the characters' faces. The epilogue words go, Leslie Men's now a multi-billionaire and a genius. She's married to the guy she talked to for a few seconds in that one scene. He knows estrogen's in the smoothies but can't get enough. Cameron Diaz and the brother character moved into the house he was building for somebody. She sure likes the coffee table in the gazebo till the sun shines through the window. Kate Upton's ass is still only in white bikinis. Don Johnson looks at it on the beach. Some music plays. The end.
0: All right, uh, Kelly Wand, was, uh, was I right or was I right? Leslie Mann's so cute. You were totally right about her. And you don't like Cameron Diaz? No, she's cool. Okay. She's the
2: straight man, though. She kind but, of is, isn't it? Yeah, as far as a buddy yeah. comedy goes. She's the yeah. voice of reason. Right? She's like, no, if you, when you break up with someone, you just fuck someone else. It kind of solves itself. Mm-hmm. But Leslie Mann's the crazy character. But, I don't know, it seemed like there weren't any comic situations it seemed like it got
0: all kind of dramatic. I think trying to get a drunk Leslie Mann into a limo <laughs> that's, qualifies that's a as a comic part. situation.
2: Yeah, she's super cute and she's drunk, and then the rest of the movie she's kind of bummed out. So it kind of it's not as fun as that one. Okay,
0: insane. Thing is, do you concur? Was there enough uh, comic situation for you? Was it was it lacking there? And am I right or am I right about the whole Leslie Mann Cameron Diaz thing?
1: Uh, I don't know what you mean by am I right or am I right about Felicia man. I don't either. Uh, I think that the best thing about the movie is their chemistry. And um, if the movie had had more of that, it would be awesome. Um, I left my head off during the first part where you see that chemistry just sparkle. I mean, just going crazy. Uh, And then we hit a doldrums and the movie just drops.
0: It really does that horrible studio comedy thing where it starts to take itself too seriously about halfway through. Yeah. and it doesn't let up, and it's so and that that come up and stuff was just so embarrassingly sophomoric. I was like, oh, you were you were doing so well for so long, right. and and this is what you're this is where you're going to to end up.
2: Yeah, banking, well. and then he walks in a glass somehow
0: i mean all of that was just I, pretty much everything once it starts resorting to expecting us to be entertained by him being fed a laxative rather He's than being getting- entertained that, that is the th- moment
1: th- that is the moment where it goes
0: Got rather it, than so being to entertained no. by the yeah. the two of them just hanging out and talking. And, like, early on, there are these great comic situations, and there's a great setup. Um, it's, it's a fantastic premise, but with no meaningful follow-through.
2: And he's not supposed to be even funny to us. Like, we're supposed to go, oh, fuck that guy. Like, he's the fucking Bradley Cooper character from...
0: He's a prop, really, and which is a shame yeah, yeah. because he does amazing work on Game of Thrones. I just watched him in a, a Norwegian thriller I mentioned last uh, last week called Headhunters, where he's he does some really good stuff in that. And in Headhunters, it's kind of the same thing. It's Headhunters is this cat and mouse uh kind of heist crime. Uh, infidelity thriller where you really don't quite know what's going on with him, and he's more than a prop, and and they make great use of this fact that he's this fantastically good-looking fellow who's also a good actor who's got a touch of malice to him, and they don't do anything to cash in on what he offers in in other woman. Again, you know he's a prop. Any good-looking guy just plug him in there as long as he can act slightly smarmy, then fine. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was completely unnecessary. To we him. don't
2: know him well enough to enjoy his comeuppance even. Like he's barely in the movie, so when it, it may as well be anybody. Right, right. Um.
0: But the comeuppance is
1: also embarrassingly handled. I mean, it, it, that that whole everything he's doing there at the table when uh, when Nick comes in and all that stuff is just from another movie. It's just embarrassing, and it would have been great in a. In a different movie, like I don't know, super bad or something. I don't know wh- where would have been good. I'm not saying that that Nikolai Coster Waldau is bad at it. It's just that he's being
2: forced to do. He's being pushed. Oh, totally he's being pushed off the ledge, and it's not fair to him. It's, Which makes them all look like idiots because they all fell for him. So if he's that stupid, they're all dumb. <laughs> <laughs> she married him for years and was on the fence for the whole movie. But he can't. He doesn't even know what a, what a door is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is not used to that kind of office structure, Wand. He doesn't work there. he doesn't know what it's like where they've got that all little glass. every day, and it is a little confusing. <laughs> but it-
1: yeah, he, he really can't handle himself there, and,
0: and that's hard to believe. He's not used to that. Kind of, that was yeah. a weirdly bloody scene, too. Like, when yeah. when he first walks into the door and they explode a, a blood squib at nose level under yeah. the glass door, I was like, ooh, that's kind of grim. I mean, that's like something... That's weird. PG-13.
1: That's what I would imagine would be the actual appeal on the R rating, is
2: his nose exploding. Then he gets punched in it, and then yeah. also... But nothing happens, and everyone just <laughs> – I wish something like that would happen in real life just because I want to see if people would actually say nothing like they always do in movies. Uh,
0: there was a really good episode of Veep last season where Julie Louise dreyfus walks through a glass door, <laughs> which was way more realistic. Uh. Uh, really? It seems hard to do.
2: Uh, I, although I did break my foot that one time, but I was trying to impress you guys. Yeah,
0: I know people who've walked through glass doors. I mean, it's... It's it's confusing. It's in, the, in the olden days, it was potentially, I don't know about lethal, but in the olden days before they made glass that, that kind of expected some dumbass is going to walk through you at some point. That's why in, I bring a canary. Uh, in the olden days, glass, could re- that could really screw you up walking through a glass door. But yeah, Wait. these days, glass is all safely used. Wait, what do you mean the olden
1: it's, days? Well, it's tempered. We All the glass is tempered now. So there, there's, this, there's this 70s... <laughs> It's tempered glass. It's so that when you, when it shatters, it breaks into those little tiny fragments right. instead of these huge bits that can slice your throat. Wait, and yeah, exactly. Rather than- there's there's this seventies sh- there's this movie. It's not from the seventies, but it's like about a seventies rock band or something. Where where uh, where a brother goes running. Not a brother, like uh, like so, like. There's there's a party going on and some guy just runs through the glass and he dies and then the whole movie is kind of about the sister dealing with his death. But it is that the way that glass used to shear off and now it's just the way uh, the way he walked into that glass wall and it just it's yeah. tempered glass so it shatters like a little
0: fragment. Little yeah. yeah. And plus we know we don't know in Blade Runner, did Zora die from Deckard's bullets or from going through the glass? We don't know. Uh, good point. Same. Or neither, because she has four years anyway.
2: <laughs> That's true. Or did she just hit her shut-off point? Yeah, by this chance.
0: Right? Right. Yeah. Uh, but he gets a he gets a, a robot wrist to the throat. Uh, which one of us is the biggest doubter for Cameron Diaz on this podcast? Because I, I think, even in stuff like Bad Teacher, I, I really think she... Uh, Dingus, didn't you not like her in The Counselor? Or were, were you kind of the Cameron Diaz naysayer? Better? Oh,
1: I thought she was horrible in that, but I, I can't say I'm the, the worst on it, because I liked her so much in Night and Day. Um, and ever since that moment where she just a- allowed herself to be seen, and so did Tom Cruise, as the age she is. And it's one of my favorite things about this movie, um, is the, and the way she does her career, is that she just lets herself be seen the way she is. Uh, and she's a gorgeous woman, but she's not afraid of her age, and I really, really like that. And I and I started liking that in Night and Day. I, but yeah, I didn't, I did not like her in Counselor.
0: I just, I, I, so appreciate, and this applies for me to the counselor, how she consistently gives one hundred and ten percent. Like yeah. I never get the sense with her that she's showing up for a paycheck. Like she'll try new weird things. She'll allow herself to look absolutely ridiculous and unglamorous. Um. I, I just, I, she's an enormous asset, I think, to any movie. I'm a huge Cameron Diaz fan, and I think she deserves, uh, she deserves something like a bridesmaid, I think. Um. Well, she doesn't get to do anything fun in this movie. Well, I, you know, you I, say I she's the that. straight man, but yeah, I do think that her and Leslie Mann just hanging out and talking, it, what, even that. though she is the straight man, I mean, I think it's arguably tougher to be the straight man. Oh, like, yeah. It's almost like Leslie Mann has the easier job because she's doing the funny, entertaining stuff, but. The Cameron Diaz is, you know, her, when you say she doesn't get to do anything, I totally disagree. Yeah. Like playing off of someone who is being the clown or who's doing the more traditionally fun stuff. Jason Bateman, for instance, is a classic example. That guy drove Arrested Development and he was a straight man. I mean, he's so good at being a straight man. Um, and I don't think it's, it's not getting to do anything. I think it can be colossally difficult and, and finding someone who's really good at it and attentive and generous that way, uh, I, I don't think it's not. Yeah,
2: it takes a, I'm not saying it's her. I'm saying the material doesn't give her anything to do with Leslie Mann after like about 20 minutes in.
0: Nah, I think. Come on, for the that whole the fact that Nick Cassavetti, So this is Nick Cassavetti's Who knows what he's doing? He's from a Cassavetes, the Cassavetes family. But he's done <laughs> schmaltz like The Notebook, and did he even do the? I don't know. Yeah, so he's, he's, I think, may, mainly known for the notebook, uh, which I've actually never even seen. Dingus, since it has Rachel McAdams, I'm guessing you've seen it,
1: right? I have not. I did watch She's So Lovely, but I got really
0: tired of it quickly. Well, well Nick Cassavetes, I, I think, is smart enough at times, like that closet scene, where they go in there and he eventually just like lets the dialogue fall away and they're playing music. But them just like giggling and looking at each other and hanging out and talking and oh and they're playing with the clothes in the closet. Right. Um, like I, I love that sort of thing. That, <laughs> that's, that's early. That's before it even, jumps
2: the
3: Shark. You know, I,
1: I have to say, even just the phone stuff, which could have gotten tiresome and right. did in a little way, but, but the the constant like I'm calling you on the phone stuff. Cameron Diaz handles that really well, yeah. um, and I think she she provides sort of a platform for Leslie Mann's character to goof around, and she, she makes it safe for her to goof around, and that's what a really good straight man or straight woman or whatever you want to call it does. She makes it safe for the jokes to work and safe for the person who's the clown to – to sort of experiment and i think she's really really good at that in this movie and i don't i just wish that the movie had focused more on that instead of just going off the rails the way
2: it did well that's what i'm saying is that it didn't but you guys is is, tom are you saying this movie is a good comedy
0: uh i like this movie i did like it i mean even though so so here's the thing like we've 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 talked plenty about movies that start off intriguingly. Like I, I think of our yeah. podcast for uh, I keep wanting to call it Takeoff, nonstop, um, non-stop right? <laughs> for for nonstop, where uh, it sets up an intriguing premise, and then when it there's no it's payoff, stopped. well, when the, when there's no payoff, I sort of feel like, oh, well, that premise was a cheat. You know, all of that was sleight of hand. None of my in. You know, none of that intriguing stuff. Where I think, ooh, is it? What's the resolution to the mystery going to be? Like that's what's thrilling to me. And when I discover, hey, there wasn't a resolution to a mystery. All this stuff you gave me before is is fake. You know, it's all none of it really existed. It's all a, premised on a lie, basically. However, if you look at a comedy like this, where it doesn't follow through and there's no meaningful resolution, I don't think in the same way that that. That happened with a, a non-stop situation, I don't think for me personally, it doesn't invalidate the earlier stuff. So the first half of this yeah. movie, I still really liked and I don't feel like the fact that the second half just fell apart, I don't feel like it in any way impacted on how awesome the first half was, which was all based on the mm-hmm. premise, the relationship between the women, the commitment from the two actresses and the director, Nick Cassavetti's understanding enough about what he had to let some of their scenes breathe. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it, it, it goes anywhere meaningful and I think it completely falls apart, but I did like this movie. Um.
2: Uh, well, it's just, like Bridesmaids to me was a great comedy because yep. it actually has payoffs and sequences that are and it even and shaped and the characters you get you get where they're coming from you, and they have funny relationships.
0: And by the way, just real quick, I want to say uh, Bridesmaids does that studio comedy thing where it gets earnest, but it's good enough to do that. It
2: gives such good value
0: though, and it has all it has a number of good like. Minute
2: for minute, it's a great comedy, just in term, just on points. But this movie has none of those. It has zero points, zero three pointers. I can't think of one. What do you mean three pointer? Like a sports metaphor? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just like anything that pays off, anything that goes anywhere, anything. We're like, oh, that was the good part of the movie. Well, I I really like the the that was the best line. I
1: really like the distinction Tom's making. for me, it felt like it was almost done by two different people um, because I, I was so enamored of the first part of this movie and so crazy about their uh, chemistry together and how well that was going and how well the movie was paced and and just the energy of it. Um, and so uh, I have to say I'm kind of with Tom as far as the, <laughs> the fact that once we get to the the uh, the poop jokes um, it doesn't invalidate all that other stuff that they were working so hard to do. It just feels like somebody else came on board and poured laxative into the movie. Uh, it, it, it's weird. Um, so I, I, you know, I understand what you're saying, Kelly, Kelly, about payoffs, and usually I would agree with that, but I have to say that, that it doesn't invalidate that. Because I just felt like they, they were doing so much good stuff together. I was just so excited about it, and so. Just, I mean, my, I was laughing so much. I'm an easy laugh. I mean, really? Really? there's no doubt about that. But I was just going crazy about so much of that stuff, and mainly it was just the chemistry of Leslie Mann and Cameron Diaz.
0: Yeah, and I would call a lot of those things. I don't know if I'm using the metaphor correctly, but I would call a lot of that stuff three pointers. Uh, it, it, mm, you guys haven't heard been... any lines, Leslie. Man- yeah, I, did, I don't. Maybe I don't know where the lines are, but Leslie Mann's early stuff about Brain Camp and Pig Bacon and that was totally a three. Yeah, I, was all right. I love watching her. That, it's, I'm
2: saying twenty minutes, and you guys somehow it felt like an hour, or maybe well, I, mis- I lost an, half. Well, hour. well,
1: Kelly, when I when I get this <laughs> feeling, I'm usually almost always right.
2: What feeling? What do you mean? <laughs> Nothing. Sorry, oh, I, I st- you a line. Oh, oh wait, wait. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. See, so. <laughs> Wait, so I'm her, though. You're quoting me, then.
1: No, I'm not quoting you. I'm quoting the, the feng shui
0: girl, not Carly. I'm quoting the other girl.
2: You're quoting Cameron Diaz?
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, some of the other things that I liked that I don't normally expect in a throwaway comedy, uh, I really like Nicki Minaj and Taylor Kinney as, as supporting characters. Yeah,
1: uh, they're great. And, and I was expecting to really be annoyed by her because of that, that little bit she has in the, in the trailer. But she's great.
0: Yeah. Um, Who's the receptionist? The receptionist yeah. was Nicki Minaj, and the brother is an actor named Taylor Kinney. Dingus, have we seen him before? I couldn't tell if I'd seen him before, but I just didn't recognize him in the beard or if he was someone completely had He was in uh, Zero Dark Thirty, but I have no idea oh. what he was. In. I'm sure they, yeah, they probably put him in a seal uh, yeah. uniform yeah. and had him on the, the raid right. at the end. Okay. Right. Um, My mom always said selfish people. <laughs>
2: That's a good line.
0: See, there See, you go. Know. Kelly almost, Wan call it, bringing up a three pointer. That's yeah.
2: another. All the three pointers in the first quarter. <laughs> and then there's three quarters of garbage. But then you still have, a, guess, high, yeah.
0: you still have game with a high score of a game with a winning score, right? Well, we're bringing up the average. Is that the reference you're going to do in there? No, how, trying-
1: how about Don Johnson? Come on. Yeah. He's barely in it. God, it doesn't matter. I, I love this. I love the age casting of Don Johnson. I love that.
0: Because you it, really should see the season that he's in of uh, Eastbound and Down. Uh, Don oh, Johnson's doing some what? great uh, Twilight season. Years yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um,
1: well, I I love guys. this idea because uh, usually you have this weird inversion of like Sally Field plays Tom uh, Tom Hanks's mom or something, and they're like ten years apart, and uh, and Don Johnson looks slightly younger than Kennedy is and he's 20 years older um, and i love that, that that's that's what they're, they're they're messing around with ages and they let him play the dad part and and he gets to mess around a little bit i i thought he was great in this and i love that idea i love the way they mess
0: around with age casting in this movie it's great Kelly, here's another three-pointer. Uh, when a scene ends, normally you just cut the scene, you're done. Uh, there's a point where Leslie Mann is walking out of a room, and I think it's a scene with Taylor Kinney. uh, and she's just really flustered, and he says, where are you going? And she says, I don't know. And she just (laughs) exits. I'm like, wow, that was really so good. Great. Yeah. Uh, she's, like, trying not to
1: cry because like, she's keeping it inside, like, crying like a winner.
0: Right, right, yeah. Those are, Come on. That even had a – what do you call it in comedy <laughs> yep, where right. you, you you do a joke twice? Call <laughs> a back. Callback. Yeah, that even had a callback. Come on, Kelly. Wan. That's, that's got to earn him three points, yeah? What's the callback? You do it a second time. No, no, but what's – she goes, I'm –
2: I don't know where I'm going. She does that.
0: Oh, no, no, where Karen where Diaz says, cry on the inside like a winner. And then later there's a scene where she's crying, and <laughs> she's trying not to, and she says to her brother, she's trying to cry on the inside like a winner. Oh. Uh, is that not a callback? Your... Did I use callback wrong? Uh, uh, <laughs> and they're doing all
1: this stuff, it's like, what is this, some, some Tyler
0: Durden bike club bullshit? Oh, my God, what a great I... reference that was, too, yeah. Oh,
2: my God. You
0: guys are so easy. Fuck. Uh, Kelly, did you guys uh, notice in the credits... <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the credits, there was a CG company credited for for visual effects. Did you guys notice that? Yeah. What do you think that was for?
2: Uh, the blood squibs and glass stunts. That was practical. That was clearly practical. Oh, was
0: it? It seemed impractical from a glass standpoint. Practical just means like it's an effect that was used on the set, like it actually physically exists. It wasn't a dream sequence. That's what I'm saying. I feel like so we're I think I, I could Kate be wrong. I where they're talking about pubic I, hair felt like an R-rated scene. So they, I could be wrong, but I think that the visual effects company, and this seems ridiculous to me, I think the scene where the dog goes to the bathroom. Oh yeah, yeah, might have been oh, CG dog. Poo. Yeah, well, it had to be. They yeah, make, so they I they think there's a push. visual effects company who was <laughs> uh, who, who their job in the other woman was to do CG dog poo. They did a great job; it was really convincing. Uh, that dog did it get a credit, Dingus?
1: In the credits, uh, I don't. Uh, well, the the character name was Thunder, but I, right,
0: no. right. I don't know. I don't think they credited the dog, which makes me also leads me to wonder. I don't think this is the case. Why aren't animal credits, which are often in movies? Why don't they have those on IMDb so you can see when the same dog is an actor in different movies?
2: Like, why doesn't the dog have its own IMDb page?
0: Like, a link. Like, you have it for actors, and sometimes animals get credits in the credits. Why doesn't IMDb record... It is also usually the same animal, too. Like, wasn't that one monkey in every movie? Yeah, and I just want to know, was Abby in Paranormal Activity 2 in any other movies? Because if so, I want to see him. I liked that dog.
2: But it's also kind of a bummer, because then you go, oh, there's like 19 lassies, which means... That they they probably that. lost a bunch.
0: How many binges were there, Kelly Horne? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so wh- I, I wonder in a, in a script like this, uh, do they write it specifically so that they <laughs> can spend two weeks during the shoot in the Bahamas? Like, I wonder. Yes, of wait, course Why aren't do. we going to the Bahamas? Uh, I bet they just wanted to sort of screw around and hang out and shoot they admit- for two weeks. No,
2: totally. And you know what? It always makes a movie worse. Notice that the the Bahamas shit, it's the weakest stuff in the movie.
0: We did see – I don't know if you guys know this. We did see a movie that ostensibly a large part of it takes place in the Bahamas, and they didn't have the budget to actually go to the Bahamas. Do you know what I'm talking about? Weekend at Bernie's. No. I know
1: exactly what you're talking about, but – well, I know – I remember us talking about this, but I can't remember.
0: It's the, That out. Tyler Perry movie. Oh, they, yeah. they go <laughs> and they catch it in the Bahamas, oh, but they Bahamas? had to shoot it on beaches, I think, down in Georgia or whatever. <laughs> oh, I just
1: remember them sitting in those jet skis and not <laughs> right? doing anything with
3: them.
2: That
0: was awesome. <laughs> but at <it's> least <laughs> here, I actually got to go to the Bahamas.
2: <laughs> that is weak. Because it's supposed to. Yeah, you're right. Because it should be the one perk of the movie. Let's go make a piece of shit, but at least it'll it'll be like a paid vacation.
0: Well, it's like – there's a fellow named John Stockwell who's an actor, and he's directed movies. Like most of his movies, it seems like he's he's choosing scripts based on where he can go for vacation. He did Into the Blue. He did a movie where Halle Berry fights a great white shark. Uh, He did uh, did one of those movies that I thought was Soul Surfer. Uh, Oh, Blue Crush. I think he did a Blue Blue. Crush – um so John Stockwell is a guy making a career of taking hot chicks to great locations to just hang out and shoot a movie for a while.
2: Michael kane said he did that for Blame It on Rio. He's all I wanted to go shoot in Rio for a little bit. Hang out on the beach with Demi Moore. Demi Moore is the chicken Blame It on Rio? Well, he's not the one he has sex with. That's oh. the, she's the Demi Moore's the Cameron Diaz straight man and then Michael Cane has sex with his friend's daughter. Shaving cream? You didn't see that movie? No, no, no. I remember that movie. I totally remember. That. Forget that girl's name, though.
0: I don't she think. She,
2: yeah, did she? It's the only movie it. I saw her in. Uh,
0: what uh, did we think of? Um, I I don't want to be mean here, but It's certainly attractive. But I was a little disappointed in Kate Upton. Like I oh, thought we were cool. going to get a third element to this, like like it was going to add a little extra spice, a different kind of flavor to the, the chemistry that Cameron Diaz and Leslie Mann had. And then when Kate Upton showed up, I was like, oh, that's kind of all she's bringing to the table, just like her hotness. I was a little disappointed in that. Uh, that's
2: what I'm saying. It's a smoke screen. I didn't even and it's I wasn't she great. Even, even for a hotness aspect. No, Leslie Mann was way hotter in this movie. That's what I was going to say to Tom. That I concur, and he's won me over to Camp Leslie Mann. I was never anti-her, but now it made me want to see all of the changes. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, Leslie Mann's hotness, a lot of it is uh, just how good she is as an actress. And yeah. she is she's certainly attractive, and they uh, they certainly dolled her up for certain uh, nude shots in the change-up. Um, but I, I still maintain, I, I think in Funny People, like the relationship between her and Adam Sandler, I think is great. Um, yeah. She does a fantastic job in Funny People. As a matter of fact, I think she gives that movie – Adam Sandler is good in it, but I think she's the one that really gives that movie its the kick that it needs. Again, that third act bit in Funny People. Um, yeah, she's she's fantastic. And but Kate Upton's so lame as an actress
2: that it, 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 it's like Leslie Mann and Cameron Diaz both look so much better than they would anyway.
0: Well, need, like, I, third... I think what's going on here, Kelly Wand, is and you see this a lot of times when there's someone who's not really good at acting or who's kind of new to it. A lot of it is. Leslie Mann just fawning over her, selling the hotness. It's right. not so much that Kate and Kate Upton. She certainly looks great in this, but I've seen her way sexier and like doing little dances on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. And none of that. There's none of that. That just smoldering sexuality in the other woman. You can see her way hotter on a YouTube clip. But a lot of it is is Leslie Mann selling her character, it just being right. so in awe of her. Uh, so a lot of what Kate Upton brings actually wasn't brought by Kate Upton, but was provided by Leslie Mann. But also Cameron Diaz plays the, I used to be the Kate Upton. Right,
2: right. Which is kind of interesting. Like that's where I thought it was going to get kind of interesting, but then that doesn't but go anywhere.
1: I think there's a little too much of, I know what you're doing and I know what I'm doing and uh, we'll figure you out later. <laughs> and there's this little, like you're the third, you're the, you're the third part of the triangle and we're going to make that joke a bunch of times. Yeah. And I just don't, I don't, you know, it, I, to be honest, um, the way she delivers lines is fine i mean she's okay she's just not oh, as, Kate yeah she, she's okay i mean she's, she's not, not... Em, she's not embarrassing it's not like uh, i would expect like a sports illustrated model to right, right. just like yeah. fall over being able to <laughs> say a line she's fine right. she just doesn't bring the kind of charisma i mean she pops off of the page of a, of when you're looking at like a picture of her but Cameron Diaz and Leslie Mann just have this other level of charisma. They're stars, and she doesn't have that kind of ability on, on film as far as being in a movie. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, denigrate her in any way. She's, she's not incompetent. Um, I just wish they would have cast somebody else who, who brought something else. I don't know who else to cast, but I wish they would have brought something else.
2: You know.
0: Taliron, who would you have cast in that part? Uh, probably Carl Urban.
2: One,
3: two, three, not only you me and I'm calling between counting. One, two, three, Peter and free,
2: down
0: with the pretty much every movie is, is better with a little Carl Urban. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it should be Carl Urban Robin Shaw. But it's the exact, exact same? exact same, family. Carl Urban Robin Shaw. And Sean Connery,
0: which is a little weird, but because they were ready. Uh I don't know if this is the right time for this, but Kelly, I have a bone to pick with you. I'm Whoa. ready. Three freaking hours of Wolf of Wall Street, really? <laughs> How much did I oversell it? <sighs> Maggie Roby. <sighs> <sighs> Sh- uh, I really know. thought it was insufferable. I mean, it was so. I, again, it's just Scorsese he is so full of himself and what he does. Of those three hours, how many scenes were Leonardo DiCaprio addressing a room full of stockbrokers? I mean, I felt like of those three hours, two of them were just him yelling at dudes in, a, in front of a room full of stockbrokers. Uh-huh. That's
2: what the movie's about. It's about him yelling at everybody. <laughs> That's his superpower. He yeah, yeah, yells. That's what the 80s were, dude. He's going <laughs> from here to society. Yeah, I really didn't like it. Uh, it's not the most wait because well, I remember thinking at the end that felt shorter than I would have thought. Like it felt like a faster three hours.
0: Maybe if you're like in a theater, but I I rented it. And when you're watching the you know when you're watching it and you're at home and there's other things you could do. At one point, I was like, well, there's probably only about ten minutes to go. It's got to be near the end. And I looked at the little marker along the the for for how long to go and an hour was left and and i felt like the movie can just stop now and i would be okay
2: with that that's that's something i I decided later i thought maybe it was maybe good about it was it's completely structureless and it just keeps going it's just like it could have been any days in his life but it just picks those ones but you were you were into it though right like you kind of well i remember being less bored than i thought i'd be
0: okay and Emma Stone's really good. <laughs> and that's who you thought you were seeing, Emma Stone.
2: I go, that's weird. Her boobs seem slightly different from what I recall. <laughs> thinking
0: they would be like. I think she looks anything. I guess when Emma Stone got like all dolled up in that that uh, that L.A. That 40s small, movie, what was that thing called? Holly- the one you loved, by the way, with Josh Brolin. Not Public Enemies. What was that called? You and mean Josh- you know? called Gangster Squad. Were- Gangster Squad, right? Like Emma. When Emma Stone was all dolled up in Gangster Squad, she looked great, but I didn't. And Margot Robbie, by the way, that was one of the things I did enjoy in the movie, was not only is she drop-dead gorgeous, but she was actually kind of good. Like, she was able to sort of match – you know what? She probably should have been in The Other Woman. Yeah, that's a good idea. Is, is Replacing idea. Kate yeah. Upton. She could have been all three roles. Mm, no, no. She, there's no way Margot – Margot or Mar, – what's her name? Margaret Margot Robbie? Okay. Robbie? Robbie. Yeah, there's no way she could fill in for Cameron Diaz or Leslie Mann, but she could certainly uh, provide what Kate Upton didn't bring to the table. Uh, just as far as a beautiful actress who's also really good.
2: See, did Kate Upton even a fucking audition for that shit? Or did they just go, well, it's Kate Upton. She'll just be the younger one.
0: And I imagine Kate up those Upton powerhouses. is powerhouses. I wonder if like, she's the selling point to get the average dude. Right. To see or the, yeah.
2: Right. And you know what? As a dude, and as probably the horniest dude on the planet, I was still like, I wish Leslie Mann was in this s-
0: slow motion shit more. Well, that's why That's why the change-up exists, Kelly Wand.
2: That's an R rated movie, too. So R rated. And everybody's good <laughs> it. Like The scene you made me watch was good, and it's like all the characters were being funny. But in this movie, fucking the husband's not funny, Kate Upton's not funny. Alright,
0: right. Uh, right, so uh, Dingus, do you have any it's, bones to pick with Kelly Wand? Did he make you watch anything this week that. Uh... I don't know. Is that really a bone? that I didn't like Wolf of Wall Street well I'd heard so many sort of qualified approvals about Wolf of Wall Street and I will say it wasn't anywhere near as bad or as turgid as Hugo Um, but it was just so gratuitous I mean I really did feel like Dingus made the observation about uh, True Detective that it really did feel like a three hour movie stretched out into eight hours Wolf of Wall Street is a ninety-minute movie stretched out in, into three hours. Like there, it does not need to be three hours. Um,
2: yeah, but it's at least Scorsese doing something kind of kind of dumb.
0: I would Instead say George Lucas, like not, well, yeah, yeah, true, true, and I did works. feel. At least, at least Leonardo DiCaprio, unlike in Great Gatsby where he was just kind of sleepwalking through it, he he seemed really invested and in energetic. And I guess partly you're, when you're playing someone on coke, that's a byproduct of what you're doing. But uh, at least he was super energetic and really present. I, I like McConaughey doing. Hey, although is in the trailer more. Bacane's so barely in it. I was really yeah, sad yeah. to see him fall away so quickly from. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, what happened to his guy? That guy seemed to have all the answers.
0: Well, I got the sense that, you know, once he moved away from that portion of Wall Street, that part of the movie was over. and yeah. Robbie. So, all right. Good point.
1: I, I, I'm i kind of done with Scorsese. I'm, uh, uh,
2: I really feel bad about that, but... I don't know. What if he makes a RoboCop? You'll be into that.
1: No, I, I don't... I, you know, if he wants to run around and mess around with film preservation and making documentaries and whatever, that's fine, but... What's the last thing he did as a director that I care about? I don't know. I, I haven't cared about anything he's done lately, and in fact, I've actively disliked most of it. Um, and when he won Best when he won best Picture for the Department, I'm, I'm actually really upset with where he's gone. So, I, you know, I,
0: I have no intention of wasting three hours. on and- well, it's, like it's like old. Yeah, it's Kelly Wand and I. I mean, Kelly Wand and I as, as I think, pretty big Shutter Island fans. We're not ready to break up with them. But we are telling him that he really needs to to change if he wants to stay with us. Well, if he makes something like Wolf of Wall Street, wasn't that a huge financial? Oh, well, yeah, well, you actually did. Like <laughs> so you're not. Yeah, you're not even in danger of breaking up with him. Uh, no, it's going to take more than Wolf of Wall Street. Right. I still am. I'm still. He's still coasting on Shutter Island. Goodwill for me. It sounds like with Dingus, the tank is run empty. Empty. So Scorsese. No. Do once
1: once we crossed over the departed, uh, it was just um, um, oh god, I, that's right. That, and uh, it's, it's and so Shutter Island, I didn't like it all. I mean, but uh, we, we disagreed, and I understand what you guys liked about it. I just didn't. Aviator was awesome. That's
2: good. I don't think it was awesome. I don't like that one. It was fine. I mean, Jesse Marin uh, has Kate Beckett. <laughs> Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> what are you
1: saying? <laughs> I don't know. And I didn't do not even like Gangs of New York, there? so I don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I can't, I don't even know where to reach back.
2: to. Like Daniel Day-Lewis is awesome in it.
1: Where, where am I going to go back? Kundun? I mean, maybe Kundun is the last thing I like. I
2: like one too. Yeah. What about uh, King of Comedy? Was that recent? Well, that's
1: way, that's way back. I mean, I, you know, jeez, I, I don't even know. I mean, I didn't like Casino. Maybe I need to look at it again. I really did like Kundun, but but moving on from that, I don't know. what's. What,
2: the scene is like you feel like it's like a Miami Vice Goodfellas clone.
0: Maybe Dingus would like Wolf of Wall Street, Kelly Wand. <laughs> it's funnier than The Other Woman. Uh-huh. Mm, that, by the way, is another thing that I think – I don't know if it was you, Kelly Wand, but someone had told me, well, Wolf of Wall Street is kind of a comedy. Uh, there were things – that I thought weren't funny. Like the resolution with his character, like where he ends up, I was like, dude, this isn't funny at all. And I really am uncomfortable being asked to empathize with and care about this guy at this point. Uh, Are you, though? You're not really Well, student. the scene where he ends up just being a real dick to his wife and what, what he puts the little girl through... Uh, like that that scene, which is supposed to be, you know, the, where he's really bottomed out. Um, I was like, oh, that the guy who would do this stuff. I just really don't like. Oh well, he's not. He's not sure course, it. He's coding. right. Well, okay, oh, fair enough. Right. Uh, I, I did look. I did love the scene where he drives his car home uh, unscathed, <laughs> where we later find out what really happened. See that, that right there. That was a three pointer, as you would say, Kelly Wand. See, other woman needed something like that. <laughs> It needed in a fucking car wreck. Well, you know what our listeners need right now, Kelly Wan? They need a 3 by 3 They specifically need one that uh, was inspired by the movie Transcendence. So we saw Transcendence, and in Transcendence, Rebecca Hall and Johnny Depp are these super hip Berkeley AI scientist types, and they also listen to a phonograph player. They're just that kind of type of person who listens to vinyl. They're not conformists. Yeah. They're idiots. Yeah. Uh, And so the 3 by 3 this week are scenes involving record players, you know, phonographs, vinyl, uh, that we actually like. You know, where they're not annoying hipsters, um, where for whatever reason you really like the fact that there's a phonograph in this scene. So because Dingus will be introducing next week's topic, Dingus, why don't you start us off with your number three pick, of uh, a record player in a movie that was not annoying or too hipster.
1: I didn't know there were the too hipster and annoying uh, elements of it. I'm glad I dropped the other one that I had on my list. Alright, so uh, for my number three, here's a quote from it. Uh, Without love, breath is just a clock ticking.
2: Sounds like something that... Patrick right, for over something. a movie. Or Terrence Stamp. Definitely out, Terrence.
0: Out love. Oh, that's what—that's the lesson we learn at the end of uh, The Matrix.
2: What's the lesson we learn at the end of The it, Matrix? It
0: Not love. at the
1: end of The Matrix, but the characters in this are dressed like he dresses later in The Matrix sequels. So this is from a movie called Equilibrium. Ah. And uh, I watched this again this week. It's on uh, Netflix. I, I, I can't believe this, but... I love, I lo- I love this movie. I kind of, I liked it the first time I saw it and kind of was forgiving of it, but watching it again, I really like it. I can't believe it. I can't believe they didn't market it more carefully or, or make it more popular. I mean, I think Equilibrium's really good as a sci-fi movie. And, um, and when Tom was talking about, you know, when Tom had this inspiration for the topic from Transcendence, which is a marginally <laughs> science fiction movie, um, this movie actually uses a uses a photograph in a really great way, uh, because the the idea of equilibrium is that the main character played by Christian Bale is starting to feel things, and the idea of equilibrium is that uh, the way we're going to eradicate war is to make everybody stop feeling so we're going to make everybody shoot this drug into them that makes them not feel. Uh and at some point during this after he has an uh, altercation with Sean Bean, um he uh he starts to feel things and at one point he fine after this uh he's he plays this oh god what are what are they called? I can't remember what the what the what their dudes are called. Orgs no, they're they're uh, they're clerics. They're grammaticon grammat grammaton clerics, something like that. <laughs> they're clerics, um, uh-huh. and and they do this awesome gunkata thing. So it, so he's like an uber cop who who doesn't feel, and he can sort of suss out when other people are feeling. Uh, but uh, you know, his wife has died. He's raising two kids. He doesn't feel things. He's starting to feel things, finally. And and at one point he. He goes through this gunfight and uh, breaks to this wall and finds this this room where the resistance has these 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 things from another age. And and, you know, at the beginning, it's it's this very obvious, like, we're going to burn the Mona Lisa because art makes you feel things. But later on, it's it's more like even like a, a, a lovely piece of glass or uh, or a desk chair or the way you, you have the things on your desk. Those things all make you feel things. They're they're tactile. And so there's this moment where he finds this room and he finds this this grandma he finds this record player, this old time record player where you have to actually rotate over the, the the huge heavy needle and put it onto the record to play it. And uh and he even mispronounces Beethoven's name. Because it's Beethoven's ninth. I think it's the first movement of Beethoven's ninth. Uh, and he, and he starts this gramophone up, and you see that, that huge, like, I don't know what they would call it, but the, the huge phone thing that plays the music out instead of speakers. And, and you see this breakdown that he has upon hearing music played for the first time in this way. And, and so that moment in equilibrium is one of my favorite
0: record player moments. All right, Kelly, why have you seen Equilibrium?
2: No, I don't see movies uh, that have science in the name. <laughs>
0: uh, that's, isn't there something. Da- oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't there, there something Davis about a St. Bernard? Like, doesn't, isn't there a, something about a dog in that yeah, movie? Yeah. What's
1: there's the, the whole, dog thing? The, the, the great. The, oh, that's a great, <laughs> ridiculous dog stuff, but I love it. Um, you know, they have to. As the movie goes on, This uh, this controlling figure known as the father decides, and the board decides, that people are just going to be eliminated. No questions asked. And so they eliminate a bunch of resistance people, and then they find out, oh, there's a bunch of animals back here, and none of these people feel anything. like, why are they keeping these animals? Are they for experiments? Are they eating them? Who knows? And they're all these cute little dogs. And nobody knows, except for Christian Bale, who's starting to feel things, why they're keeping these dogs, and they start just shooting them. Uh, they start he rescues to, a puppy, doesn't he? He rescues a puppy. He, like he a Saint holds puppy, puppy. Up. Yeah. a St. Bernard puppy. Yeah. And he says, well, we need to make sure there's no uh, plague. And he runs off and then he puts the dog in the trunk and he tries to let it go in this area that's just for – people who are like uh, I forget what they call this area but he gets caught doing this he like has the dog in his trunk and he tries to just like like go 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 and the dog's like pawing at his door and he puts the oh. dog back in the trunk and he takes off his coat and he like makes a little Area for the dog to lie down on and then at the end of course the dog is like licking his daughter's hand as the, as the movie comes to a close. But yeah, there's this whole like him holding up this, <laughs> this beautiful puppy because that's a symbol of like why humans feel things. Nice. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Well, it's basically – I think the takeaway from Equilibrium is that some mix, maybe at least one of these three things, will will force you to feel. Either uh, Beethoven, St. Bernard Puppies, or Emily Watson. Like <laughs> exactly one of those three right. things is going to bring you around. No society can, can in that order. people not caring about one of those three things. Uh, is the movie in that? I think so, yeah. In that order. And
1: Emily Watson is the one who says the line that I just quoted,
0: that – uh, this um without love, breath is just a clock ticking. Does the of stuff hold up? Does it? You know, this seems pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think the movie's re- I think it's really good. I mean, it's it's a low budget movie, but it's it's made with with style. I mean, why are you laughing? I at like gun- that gunkada stuff, and yeah. I like how it's justified. It's kind of silly, but I, I like it. And Christian Bale is, I mean, he's he's lean and he's mean and he's really good at the fighting and. It has fake dicks in it. It was kind of silly, but
0: um, why but, are you yeah. laughing at gun-kata, Kelly Wand? It's a real I thing. Thought, it's like karate but with guns. I thought it was a soft G from the movie Jim Carter. And that's a whole different thing, Kelly Wand. It is. I thought
2: that's what Dingus was saying.
0: <laughs> what are you saying, Jim Gemkata. Gem It's Jim it's Carter, but with a gun instead of a gem. Oh, Gankata.
1: Gankata, because they've determined exactly where you need to stand in a room to optimize the kind of the shooting and uh, de-optimize the kind of the shots that you're going to get shot at you. It's great. I love I really love I love Equilibrium. I can't help it.
0: All right. Kelly Wand, what is your number three favorite appearance of a phonograph in a movie? Uh,
2: I found this very challenging because I don't think I notice. I only have one good one in this one, isn't it? Although, while Dingus was talking about it, it was making me, th- you know, it's like every generation thinks what it had when it was a kid is the best thing. But I remember thinking when I was a kid that phonographs were kind of annoying, and I think CDs would have been better. Like, I feel like I missed out. Mm-hmm. And the movie that proves that, to me, is my number three choice, which was um, Virgin Suicides. they oh. like? They're like- that one's not on your list? I thought it would be.
0: Uh, I don't specifically. I mean, Virgin, Virgin Suicide is, is a period piece. So, of course, whenever they're going to listen to music, it'll be on a phonograph. But I don't specifically remember yeah, that's phonograph what scenes. What were the What were the scenes that you're thinking of?
2: Oh, because they call them on the phone and they play
0: songs. Oh, that's right. No, In Kelly, one, that's an awesome one. Describe this scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, well, I forget why they can't just talk to them. And I also forget why the parents aren't picking up the phone. I guess the girls have their own room. But they're not allowed. To, like girls are banished to the bedroom forever.
0: Yeah. So James Woods and I forget who plays the, the wife. Kathleen Turner. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He basically they basically ground the daughters, uh, and instead of going out to meet the boys, they call each other over the phone, and they hold the phone up to their phonograph players, and they play each other songs. And there's like a montage of I don't know if it's a montage or different one scene, songs. but yeah, but they there that shows them playing each other the different songs over the phonograph over the phone. So it's losing a lot of fidelity, you know, if that's your concern. Right. Uh, but at least they're sending the messages out there. I forgot about that, Kelly Lund. That's awesome. You know what, Kelly Lund? Dingus thinks that, uh, Sophia Coppola's, I forget what it was called, but her Marie Antoinette movie is better yeah. than Virgin Suicides. Was Virgin Suicides good or were we all just... Ah, done? Virgin Suicides is
2: awesome. Because I was watching even the phonograph scene, and going, I can't tell
0: if I like this or not. I say it's awesome. It's very. You, it takes a very particular kind of, I think if you if you can appreciate um, like what she does in Nowhere, you would also like Virgin Suicides. Uh, well,
2: I liked Virgin Suicides, but I'm always. It always interests me when you see how young people hooked up with the technology of the day, like they used okay. to use, use telegraphs. These days they would just send each other
0: sex. playlists on Spotify. Right. Yeah. Did you call it no, nowhere? Somewhere. <laughs> wait, what's it called? I don't even know. What so it's it. the. Um, so this is. I don't have we had this podcast on the this conversation on the podcast before. Kelly Wand, I have a question for you. Who right now has the better career, uh, Christian Slater or uh, God? Government, not Brad Dorff. What's his name? Or Stephen Dorff. Uh, wait, Stephen Dorf was. The he was
2: the
1: villain I in one of the
0: Blade him. movies, I think. Like in the no, first was the,
1: wasn't he the good guy in the Blade movies? No, oh, I thought he of was one the good
0: guy. I was thought this? no, he's the bad guy. He's the like, bad guy.
1: Yeah. Oh, all right.
0: So oh, that's w- right because Ryan Reynolds and Chris Christopherson. Ryan Reynolds is in a Blade movie. <laughs> Isn't I don't yeah, he in no, the,
2: Blade it's in the Blade third with in the third one? That's why Wesley Snipes was upset. He's all with the book that this movie's about.
0: So, so Kelly Wan, both Steven Dorff and Christian Slater are doing some terrible movies these days. But if you ask who has the better career, I think the the clear solution to that is just looking at somewhere where Sophia Coppola just does a great job of – of, of, of using steven dorf basically <laughs> and he'd really like christian slater just a Because christian slater they, they kind of are in the same category right like these guys who are kind of like young and sexy tough guys Stephen, but kind of different. vulnerable and they have soulfulness to them and now they're both doing just terrible little roles in really cheap movies and a lot of times they're awful in them um
1: but, but they also just, do great roles in great movies like immortals hello
2: <laughs> steven dorf's in that Yes! Christian he's an immortals! Slater.
3: He's awesome
1: in it!
0: Yeah, uh, but, but Christian Slater was Zeus, but I don't remember... Christian this. Slater played someone's father in a really cool movie. Dadgummit, what was... the? He's only in flashback scenes. Tom Hanks? No, so, and he's a little girl's father, and he's showing her something about plants and trees. He makes a see? really good Uncle Ben in Spider-Man. Wait, flowers and trees? I think I know what you're talking about. What is that? Did we see that, or is that something that only, uh, only I've seen? But he's later. Yeah, he's that the father sense. in flashback scenes, and he's telling his daughter about trees and stuff. Wally? Oh, God. Oh, oh, I feel so awful. I looked this up. No. Oh, I want to take it back. Can you guys forget that I said that?
1: No. Is Can it you please? Just,
0: no, it's a nymphomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> and that, Wait, awful, he's in that? Yeah, so that, that awful large one tree movie. Part so one or part two. Uh, no, he's in, I mean, they're but they're the same movie. They're just cut in half. Um, but it's in the in the first movie. I don't think it's in the second movie. In the first movie, Charlotte Gainsbourg during her monologues, she has recollections about her father when she was a little girl, and Christian Slater shows up. Uh, in the, I forgot. Ugh. There so should be an Infomaniac Human
2: Centipede crossover. It doesn't, it doesn't need one. <laughs> it's already it does already exist.
0: But at any rate, I do. I think Virgin Suicide is. is the, uh, I
2: haven't seen it since it came out.
0: Nah, I, I think it's great. Dingus, what's your now you just I, I am giving you grief, but I think you just aren't into it as much as I am.
2: Uh no, I you know,
1: I I like it. I've seen it a couple of times. I Urgent just, suicide. I didn't get it the way you got it. Right.
0: But, I but I it that, exactly. that walking
1: down the hall in high
0: school. <laughs> Josh Hartnett, Come on, and it's a heart song, isn't it? Magic Yeah. Man? It's crazy is it crazy on you? No, no crazy on you is right Magic after they is right after they uh, he's like snuck away from her house and they're making out in his car. Uh, no, Sofia Coppola is very meticulous, Dingus, with her use of heart. So, so you know. Well,
2: Cameron Crowe's married to the heart lady. And he wrote Fast Times are high, which also starred Kevin Bacon. <laughs> All
0: right, <Here> we are. <laughs> uh, so, Kelly Watt, if you think that wasn't a good pick, I'm I, I'm so psyched to hear that your pick that you think is good. I'm well, not- I, well, I'm always wrong, so you'll probably
2: hate the other two, and that'll be the good one. We'll find out. We will. Uh,
0: What I did with mine is I I wanted to look for movies that the the phonograph player, the record player, uh, was part of the movie's kind of cultural point. Like the point the movie was making, the record player played a part in this and not like something to show you about how the character was. Kind of like Dingus. Well, so Dingus, like I love that gramophone bit in in Equilibrium, but the gramophone was kind of a cool visual touch. In a way, it could have just as easily been – it wouldn't have. Well, Kurt Vimmers definitely got his visual stylings down, so it needed to be a grand film for that reason. But the catalyst there was the Beethoven, I think, what was well, was Christian uh, Bale hearing the music.
1: There's um, a there's a little record player at the very beginning uh, when uh, Don, I don't know if you remember this, but Dominic Purcell plays this like my God, he's in it. <laughs> yeah, he he plays this uh, this revolutionary at the beginning of it, and and he's like he's in this room full of full of art. And when when the police storm them one of the last images you see in that scene is him cradling like a little record player. Okay. It's like a, just a little record player with a, with with that on it. But with that the room I'm talking about the gramophone is a very special part of that for that particular
0: playing of Beethoven's night. Right. Well, well, this pick is actually similar in that what they're doing, what Kurt Vimmer is doing with that scene is contrasting like the future with the gramophone. So in this movie, they do something very, very similar. One of the hallmarks of this movie that I'm about to mention is it's is the way that it it runs with the iPod aesthetic, you know, there's the clean white lines and the <laughs> avionics and stuff. And I'm thinking of Trans, uh, not it's Good Lord. I'm thinking of Oblivion, where Tom Cruise, they have that that awesome sky house they live in, and he's got that that ship that he flies around, and there's all the stuff with the the i the, the, the touchscreen avionics that uh, Andrea Risenborough uses. Um, and what what we find out at some point in the movie is that Tom Cruise is kind of reacting against. This uh, lifestyle, which is a, which is a, there's something wrong with it. We don't quite know what it is. And he is instead setting up somewhere uh, an alternate life. And in this alternate life, instead of these crazy fusion cells that he's putting in robots as his job, uh, he's got a little wood cabin that's powered by solar energy. And instead of all these avionics and stuff, he listens to music using a a phonograph player. And there's a great scene early on where he's flipping through his records. And I don't – I didn't get to rewatch it, but I specifically remember – the asia album yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's got that asia album but the song that he plays is a led zeppelin song and there's not (laughs) enough led zeppelin out there but he plays the song ramble on on this uh this phonograph player and i remember feeling cheated that we didn't get to hear more of the song but later on when we do get to hear more of the song it's way more appropriate and it has a it kind of has a point for what, what's happening and what we're seeing. But I love this idea that Tom Cruise, in reacting against this digital world, has his own analog cabin, solar-powered. It's where he keeps books, you know, totally analog, and it's where he listens to vinyl records. It's where he has a phonograph player. So I love the role of the record player in Oblivion. Oh, that's that's so perfect,
1: uh, because, and I couldn't remember how it was powered, um, i didn't remember that aspect of it because I kept trying to think of like somebody powering a phonograph with a bicycle or something, and i I couldn't remember like different ways of powering like a record uh, a record player in the future, and I totally forgot them, oblivion. Uh, until very late in the game, but I couldn't remember how it was powered. It's a great pick. Do, uh, do, do different records play for different people, though? I, I
0: God, I don't think I think he only puts on the Zeppelin, and I don't God. know if when Olga Karolenko moves in, if we ever see her using it. But I think we only get him playing the Zeppelin, but we do see him uh, sort of fingering through his album collection. Okay, okay. So, Instead of her, I beg hey. your pardon, Kelly want <laughs> oh, How
1: dare you. <laughs> Wait, uh, that's, so, that's a great, that's a great pick actually, because I can remember the way that
0: thing looked. That's a good uh, one. That's a good tickets, one. But you mentioned that, like powering a record player, let, let me just give everyone another reason to hate Damon Lindelof. Uh, Kelly, Wan, do you remember? <laughs> do you remember how the? I'm listening. Do you remember in Lost the record player scene? Uh, in the hatch. Yep. When we're introduced to Desmond, is yeah. he's having to. I think he's having to. Is he having to run on a treadmill. Beginning of season two. Well, a treadmill.
2: Well, a record player is like a horizontal habit trail, So it's like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> are we
2: in True Detective right now?
0: so anyway, there's bits like Relax. it's, it's Relax. totally Damon Lindelof thinking. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we have our our hero in this in this mysterious comp this mysterious laboratory situation listening to a record player? Well, is that what Oblivion's doing?
2: Like every science fiction movie, to listen to a phone. Wait, wait, wait well, No, so, I think Oblivion. So is the guy powering it? Well, for, for some
0: reason, I was thinking the treadmill he has to use to to get the power going, but I don't the actually, the I think I'm misremembering that. powers the record player. There's, just, there's all kinds of mysterious power sources in Lost, so I don't think he was. But but we do see him running on a treadmill, and I seem to recall thinking, oh, he's having to do the treadmill to power the record player. The thing is, it's a typical Lindelof thing where nothing makes any sense.
2: Ah, damn it. Isn't that pre-Lindelof, though? Second season of Lost. I
0: thought Lindelof was in Lost. Was he a back then? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Who knows? Oh, that's one more reason to hate Lost. If it gave Lindelof the power to foist his scripts into movies. Uh, Well, not to defend Lindelof, if I may be Lindelof's advocate for it. Well, I think that's what advocating is, Kelly Wand. (laughs) I accept your bluff. Uh. Wait, isn't that the same thing as Oblivion? Like, is it Lindelof doing it? No, no, no. because I think what's going on in Oblivion is there's a very clear contrast between the digital world and the analog world. And, And Lost is confusingly. Exactly. Like, Lost doesn't have anything near that clear-cut distinction. Lost has to stretch it out over however many hundreds of hours it took all those seasons. Um, But Oblivion is a a much clearer point. Like, here's this digital world. Here's the analog world. Here, Andrea Risenborough would press a button to start the music. Uh, Down in his little cabin, Tom Cruise has to put on an album.
2: Um, But it's like the island is
0: like the record album. Sounds to me suspiciously like you're defending Lindelof, Kelly Wand. Well, so, how great um, that that uh, I, oh, I love that I can't think of the name of she's that. She's
2: funnier A- than other woman. Okay, what we say? Uh, you
0: can't think of what? What's the what's the freaking Ridley Scott thing that we all Prometheus? Prometheus. I was trying to think prophecy. Yeah, uh, Kellyanne, why don't you go ahead and defend Prometheus for us while you're at it? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> all right, if you can't do that, then uh, Dingus, why don't you give us your number two? <laughs> all
1: right i'm not going to give you a a line from it because you'll get it easily um and this is something i've i've picked this very scene before but i love this record player phonograph the i love the visual image of it so much um i just can't not pick it and this is um this is from the the scene where the thugs are coming in to assassinate uh Leo in, uh, in Miller's Crossing. And, and Danny Boy is playing on the phonograph. And it's downstairs, and the smoke is drifting up through the floorboards, but you see that, that beautiful phonograph, and I'm gonna post a picture of it, cause it's just too pretty not to post. Um uh, but it's a, it's a period movie, so, you know, it, it kind of, it's not as exciting to me as Equilibrium, but it's so much prettier. It gets to be number two.
0: So, in all the, that chaos, the record—the record—never gets like bumped or scratches. Or it, at one point, does the does the song Danny Boy leave the phonograph player? Or is the whole idea that it's playing from the phonograph player during that entire scene?
1: No. One of the wonderful things about that is how they transfer the sound because the the house burns down, but it okay, transfers okay. from. It's one of those those moments where it transfers from a practical. To the soundtrack. Right, right. Yep. And, and, and it does that ra- rather seamlessly. And that's one of the things I love about that particular use of music, but that particular phonograph player is just gorgeous. And the fact, one of the things I don't like about it is that, uh, the, <laughs> the, thing, the thing I like about the way that Tom introduced this topic, um, is talking about transcendence and thing that annoyed me about Transcendence is, is that they didn't pay attention to the sound of dropping the needle, or the sound that the needle makes once it bumps against the end of the record. Um, uh, uh, so, at the beginning of the Equilibrium pick, uh, you see Christian Bale figure out how to make this record play. Um, and my other pick, you see the needle going down. But in this one, it's the the record is playing as we go into the scene, but you just you see the record player, and right. it's just such a gorgeous record player. I just can't help it. Okay.
0: Kelly Wan, what is your number two pick, and is it one of your good ones or one of your bad ones?
2: That's uh, dumb. But wait, I was thinking about Transcendence again while Dingus was saying Why would you things. do that? Because he was reminding me, like, the sounds the records make and that scratchy, poppy, hiss shit. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Remember the scene in Transcendence where... Nope. So I do <laughs> He simulates eating noises, but he doesn't simulate himself chewing. Which oh, is-
1: that's right, that's horrible. And she's like, "Would you cut that out?" He's like, yeah, at least God. do the chewing I too. It would make you more calm.
2: Yeah, he's like uh, Doctor Manhattan, but instead of sex, it's uh, you can hear him crunch through salad. But the
1: record thing is just them not bothering oh. to; they just want to And transcendence. Yeah, in Transcendence, they just wanted to just like filter in the bombastic score instead of bothering to give us the the sound that we want to actually
0: hear. My right. number two, yes, Kelly, go ahead. Yeah, thank oh, you. What were we gonna say, Tom? i was gonna say, what's your number two favorite? Say, of let's get at it. Let's know, you say, yeah. let
2: <laughs> Oh, you sounded really excited, and I go, well, I can't
0: involve. I'm excited me. to not talk about Transcendence. <laughs> that makes me excited.
2: The low bar of liking other woman continues with new... Okay, JK. Uh, My number two... I almost went with Citizen Kane, because that movie is never traditionally anyone's number two choice for anything. So I thought it'd be cool to give it a silver. But instead, I'm going with uh, Starman, because in Voyager, don't they... uh... Isn't that our way of telling aliens
0: that we have phonograph technology? There's no phonograph player. That's the actual platter. (laughs) <laughs> so that's what you would play on a phonograph player, if I'm not mistaken. And that was also in wasn't there a Star Trek movie where they find Voyager?
2: Yeah, and it turns into a giant cloud that eats Earth. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, that's what happens when you send out Voyager. There's so something. you're picking a favorite phonograph
0: and not a phonograph player? Is that correct? No, I'm
2: saying. Oh. Well, and then he gets he the <laughs> alien Jeff Bridges gets to the uh, to Deborah Winger's
0: house. Deborah Winger? How dare you? <laughs> are, you ser- are you serious? <sighs> Cute little Karen I Allen. Furthermore, it's not like Steven Spielberg couldn't do enough damage like in that stupid Indiana Jones movie. You now have to confuse her with Deborah Winger. Kelly Wand, poor Karen. I met Zooey Deschanel, 1984. Mia <laughs> yes, Sara,
2: whatever her name is. Anyway, so I think she's, a, she's actually watching home movies, which is kind of like a phonograph, but then I think a phonograph plays after that. All right, I think Citizen Cam. Actually, I forget all that. He gets mad and he breaks a bunch of records because he realizes that he spent too many millions of dollars trying to
0: make his girlfriend into an opera singer.
1: Your pick is Starman, and we are disregarding
0: your second choice. Yep. Sorry, Kelly. Uh, my number two is a, I don't remember specifically, I, they must use it at some point, and I don't remember if they do use the the phonograph player. I know that it's mentioned, I know that it's stolen, and it's mentioned who it's stolen from, and I know that extra batteries are brought along to play it, but <laughs> I, like, I like the role of the record player in Moonrise Kingdom from her for, right, she steals her brother's record player, for how it's... So Moonrise Kingdom is set in 1965, and normally in 1965, if you wanted to listen to your own music, I'm sure you could bring along a little transistor radio, but you're not going to get to choose what you're listening to. You're going to have to listen to whatever plays over the radio. Now, today, that concept is foreign to us. Uh, and it's been foreign to us for a long time since the advent of cassette players, for instance. You can have a Walkman. You can have a boombox. Wherever you go, you bring your music with you. It's part of escaping. It's part of going out into the world. You go out into the world, and you play what you want to, and you listen what, to what you want to hear. Um, so in Moonrise Kingdom, when uh, Susie and oh, – dingus, help me out here. What's the boy's name? Sam. No? Is that right? Yeah, it sounds right. And is it Susie or is it the actress's name? At any rate, when the the two characters oh, yeah, go ahead, it's the uh, character. Okay, so when when they escape uh, and they're 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 leaving their lives behind and they're running away together, um, they are I think one of the first couples to get to bring with them. Music. It's 1965, and she's bringing a portable, battery-operated record player with her that she has stolen from her brothers. It's part of their life of, of – it's part of their lawlessness, as, as it were, uh, so that she can control their own de- – it's part of controlling your own dis- destiny, is listening to whatever music you want to hear when you want to hear it. They don't bring a radio because they refuse to be slaves to what's played over the radio. She brings her own record player and her own records, and I think she even has a bit – I think she talks about bringing some – it's not Edith Piaf, but it's something like that, like some French singer that someone introduced her to. Uh, but I don't remember the specific records, but I do remember loving that she brings along a record player when they escape.
2: Well, she's still slave to whatever record
0: she owns. But... Well, aren't we all, Kelly Wand? That's a good point. <laughs> is it Susie and Sam? Does that sound right?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I remember saying I'm not leaving without Susie. Her, her the so, actress yeah. name is Kara, I think. Oh, Kara Hayward. Hayward? Did she ever make anything yeah. afterwards? It's been a while.
0: I don't know. I wish she'd get busy. Uh, huh, after huh? she was... Oh, my God. That is so... You what? You're... Wonder. Look. Busy does not mean what you think it means. <laughs> I don't know that... I don't think it means anything. So it does mean something? Uh, do you wish that... Uh, Sam, what was that actor's name? Do you wish that he would make more movies? Kelly Wand? No, he's fine. <laughs> kind of like Kate Upton in Other Woman, right?
2: Ugh. <sighs> Who wants to see PG-13? I don't
0: understand that movie. It's got nothing. Dingus, what is your number one pick for favorite phonograph in a
1: movie? Let's let's watch something that had a bunch of
2: Edith P.F. quotes in it. Instant Revolt. Wait, no, that's... Might have been equilibrium. Surge. Uh,
1: All right, so uh, I love that that pick because I... I, uh, I kept thinking about the way um, Wes Anderson uses phonographs in his movies.
0: Well, he's definitely, it's not the only time that someone has, has repaired to a little safe spot with a phonograph player. Yeah. Uh,
2: and a tent. <laughs>
0: and Blue Lagoon, they couldn't take the music. Huh. Do you remember the song playing in the tent in Royal Tenenbaums, dingus? Uh
1: It's um, Rolling Stones, but I don't remember the song. I believe it's Wild Horses. I think you're right. Uh, but I, I, I don't know the Rolling Stones, but I, I just love that moment so much. And what's funny is that I thought there was one in Rushmore that I was gonna have to avoid, but it's a cassette tape, it's not a record
0: player. Ah, okay. When, how long have cassette tapes been around? Uh,
1: long time. I almost, I was almost gonna go, okay, for our next one, cassette tapes. <laughs> and I decided that would be a little cheesy to go from phonographs to...
0: So nobody, nobody, you never, like you always hear people talking about phonograph players as being better. Like, I don't think there's not a resurgence of cassette tapes. Is there like, are oh, there hipsters are listening to cassette?
1: tapes? Yeah. Yeah, there is. There's, oh. there's, there's a, there's a similar, although less, um, sustainable, uh, movement about how cassette sounds, uh, in the same way that that it's analogous to the way that vinyl sounds. Okay. The, the warmth of a cassette tape is, is hmm. different than the, than a CD.
2: Okay,
0: because I thought that was just vinyl.
2: But on a record, you can pick the track, and on tape, you got to rewind for ten hours. Mm. It's lame, right? You can but, also. But they're
0: both they, they're both a
1: destructive. I mean, they both run down, and I think that's part right. of the appeal.
0: They're both what Tom? Uh, you you well, I was just going to say you can't uh, scratch on a on a cassette tape. Like if you're uh-huh. when you're DJing. <laughs> Wait, you know that firsthand. There's a This isn't a – I don't think this going to scoop anyone, but there's a great moment in the ice storm when uh, Toby Maguire has been away at college, his little sister is Christina Ricci, and he's come back from being away at college, and he finds her playing one of his records, and he's like, are you, are you touching my shit? <laughs> like, your Because you had to be careful. You know, people would scratch your records. Yeah. You could loan someone a CD, and that's them. fine. And if, you know, they'll just rip it, whatever. But uh, you, time was, and I don't think this was the case with cassettes, but time was, you know, a record could get scratched. You had to be careful who you loaned it to. Uh, and um, when, you're, when your little siblings are playing your records, I, 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 that's verboten. Don't do that.
2: Well, I was accident prone, so I was like the one you didn't want to loan. I didn't even want to loan my records
0: to me. Kellywan, Dingus has records here in the house. He will not loan them to you now that you've said that. Really? Yep, absolutely true. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't pick Ice Storm. I thought for sure that would. Be- ah, my number one, way better than Ice Storm. Now, I love that scene in Ice Storm, but the the record player doesn't really. It, it uh, you know, all of Ice Storm is sort of a period piece that that bit in time. It doesn't really reflect any sort of cultural shift or point so much. Um, but I do love that scene in Ice Storm. Um, but the ice was strictly a '70s thing. The ice in that movie, Kellyanne. Not many people know this. It was all practical effect.
2: What?
0: Yeah. No way. Like dog
2: poo?
1: No Man. CG ice. The electricity right. totally was puppets,
2: though. Spoiler. Don't computers...
0: Never yes. mind. <laughs> That's my <laughs> whole question.
2: Tom, thoughts?
0: Uh, my thoughts uh, are, Dingus, what is your number one favorite use of a phonograph in a film or motion picture?
1: All right, My number one uh, is... Uh, really a, a great jumping-off point from what you just said about the brother and sister in Ice Storm, um, because it's a husband uh, who's totally angry with how his wife is dealing with his record collection. And here's a line from it. Uh, when I listen to my records, they take me back to a certain point in my life. Don't touch
0: my records. <laughs> so, Dingus, I can't, so, Kelly Ron, when Dingus is doing that line, I can't tell if he's doing his Woody Allen or his Harrison Ford. Or Francis from Stripes. Kinda. I um, feel like I know this.
1: I'm doing neither. I'm doing Daniel Stern. I'm doing a young Daniel Stern. Oh, my
0: God. He's doing oh, a wonder- diner thing. No, yeah. it's diner. Uh-oh. I can't believe I recognize that.
1: It's diner. <laughs> yeah, and,
0: and it's just this There's this beautiful
1: shot at the beginning of the scene. It's Daniel Stern and Ellen Barkin uh, as husband and wife. A very unlikely husband and wife, I think. But I love the way they work together. Wait, Who's um, unlikely to whom? I just don't think Ellen Barkin and Daniel Stern would have wound up together.
0: Like, you think um, she's too hot for him? or she's, oh, like she, sh- she, she's, or she's super
1: hot, and he's just this nevishy goofball. Fair enough. Um, yeah, uh, true. But she's damaged, and so you can see in, in this scene why she wound up with him. Um but the the scene opens with with him putting the starting this Motorola record player and and you see it I, I just love that the way that look I mean my the, the one that I had to kick off my list that I'll do for runner up later uh, the movie starts with with the the image of that record the record rolling through the the shot and i just love that and i'm so happy that you picked this topic tom um because i i do have a record Blair. i do have records and i love the way they sound and i love playing them because there's something about putting that physical thing and putting the needle down on it dropping the needle onto the record and wondering how does this convert i, I mean it's fine that that uh, a cd will make uh make sounds come out of my computer whatever uh, but I just love that needle on the record and so I love this topic so much and the way this this scene begins with him playing this record and it and it's this you know overhead shot of the needle on the record um and and he's he's shuffling his record collection because he has them he has them ordered in such a certain way, they, by genre and and alphabetically. and who ta- and So he calls her into the room, and she's painting her nails. He's like, come into the room. And, and she's like, I'm busy doing crossword puzzles. She's just painting her nails. And she has to come in the room, and, and he starts quizzing her on, why is Charlie Parker over here? Why is it over <laughs> there? And he gets so upset with her, and he starts quizzing her on – you know where would you put? Char- and he's like Charlie Parker's jazz. Jazz. He's just he gets so passionate about it, and and she just gets frustrated with him. She's like, I, I, I don't care. It's I just want to listen to the music, and and he turns turns around and says that, uh, you know, pick any one of my forty fives. And this is where the scene kind of breaks down because he's he's spinning out forty fives. The in the way that you would use like a hand of cards. And there's no way that a guy who cares that much about records would treat 45s in that way. But, um, but the thing is he asks, he he tells her exactly what's on the B side of the the record she chooses. And then as he marches out the door, he tells her exactly what record was playing and who produced it. The moment that she walked in the door when they had their first dance and that in, it's just so clear that music is so important to him and his records are so important and how he plays them are so important. And that thing you just said about Ice Storm. I mean it, it, I just love the that sort of weird fetishization that, that Daniel Stern's character does with,
0: with records. So this would be a great segue to go into my number one pick, but first let's have Kelly Wan's number one. You can do yours if you want. Yep, we gotta go in the right Kelly Wan, there are rules, this is not NAM. <laughs>
2: okay fair point it isn't uh my number one is in the movie airplane when and um that barroom brawl turns into uh a disco when that guy's head crashes into the jukebox like that's what turns that on, right? odd because they had to get extras that looked kind of like sailors but also disco tech
0: extras Great use so. of a phonograph, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people think of that one. I think that'll be... A lot of the listeners will probably mention that.
2: Because a jukebox is like a phonograph, but with more parts.
0: There are records inside of it, that's true. Like watch parts. Uh, so, Dingus, your thing about uh, Daniel Stern in, in Diner uh, being really obsessive about his records, uh, this is similar in that it's, it, it has a lot to do with the character's passion, Uh, But the records are more about connecting him to a different time in his life. Um, and, And for me, that's the way that I look at records. You know, we're all of the age where we grew up with albums. We grew up where music was was a big round platter and these songs were on this side and those songs were on this side and some albums were actually two you know the wall was a fold out there were two albums in the wall um, and we associated it with the image on the cover of the album and some of the albums had cool sleeves so for me i don't own any of that stuff anymore and i know dingus you get a kind of a retro thrill out of it but you don't routinely that's not how you consume music anymore uh so for, for me we're at this we're this this generation where we grew up with that and it was hugely important to us in how we listened to music, but it's no longer part of how we listen to music. And once we get older, as new kids grow up, that's going to be lost. You know, we are going to be the last people to sort of keep that image of listening to music through albums, at least as a a popular way of listening to it. Um, So in this particular movie, it's about a guy who has come home uh, after many years, it's a fella our age, uh, and it's a midlife crisis movie, and he runs into a woman who he cared about a lot when he was younger, and he discovers she's married, that's kind of a bummer, but he's still really connecting with her on a, on a certain level, and, and he's talking to her, and he's remembering how much he cared about her, and they go to his home, and she says, well, why don't you, why don't you show me uh, the, the house, you know, and it, it's actually not his home anymore, it's where his mother lives. Um, and I actually, I'll just cut to the chase. The movie's oh, called, great. Yeah. the movie's called roadie and mm-hmm. Ron Eldard plays a roadie for blue oyster cult who loses his job and has nowhere to go. So he has to go home to his mother's house and figure out what to do next. And while he's there, he runs into, uh, the actress's name is Jill Hennessy and I'd never seen her before. Dingus knows her from, I think crossing mm-hmm. Jordan. Um, I, I don't know. She hasn't been in many movies. It's I think she's, Hennessey. she's mainly from TV, but she's so amazing in, in roadie. Um, so they go up to his room that he had when he was a kid and his mother has preserved it and his albums are up there and she says, well, look at all these, these albums and she plays one and it's something I've never heard of. I don't know if it's like a local group. I think they were called the Good Rats. I don't know who that is and they're listening to this album and then they're doing that standard catch-up thing like what happened to so-and-so and what happened to so-and-so and oh, so-and-so oh, died And and it's this moment where you see too how much he cares about her and – there might be a moment where maybe they're going to kiss and something will be reignited, but that moment gets blown and she leaves. And he's left sitting there in this room he had as a child, uh, you know, nowhere to go. He has no future. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's confused. He's obviously hurt because he still cares about her. And he goes through his album, his album collection. And one of the things I love about Rhodey is the specificity of its musical choices. I don't think that – you know the fact that it's about Blue Oyster Cult, I don't think that's random because there's a great moment where the character kind of comes alive in a way that he hasn't in the movie previously and talks about why he likes Blue Oyster Oyster Cult. I get the sense that whoever wrote the script – and it was co-written by – the director's name is Michael Cuesta and he co-wrote it with his brother. I get the sense that they really know about and care about Blue Oyster Cult, that it was a part of their upbringing. Um, So there's a – when he's blown this moment and he's at a really low point in his life, he goes to his record collection and he pulls out a Robin Trower album. And most people don't know who, who that is. Um, if, if you know the song Whiter Shade of Pale, he was in the group that did that song way back when. But he had a solo career too and he was this English kind of rock guitarist. And he puts on this song from, called Long Misty Days from a Robin Trower album. And you even see him put the needle on the spot where it would be in the album. You know, people who know that as an album know that's not the first song on that side. It's the second song on the album. And he puts the needle on the spot and he lays down in this bed, which is way too small for him because he was a kid last time, you know, when he slept there. His feet are sticking way beyond the edge of the bed and he's laying there holding the album cover on his belly, listening to the song. And Michael Cuesta knows to just let the song play and just show us Ron Eldard listening to it and singing along with it. Um, and it's just a fantastic moment about this guy reconnecting to his past through playing an album on a phonograph player. And they even – and it's very tastefully done – but they even cut to shots of him, uh, the film that looks like a home movie, as a kid with Jill Hennessy as a kid when they used to sit in his room listening to albums and he's playing like air guitar on a, on a tennis racket. Um, but I love that <laughs> scene from Roadie. Um, so that's my favorite use of a phonograph. Kelly Wan, you probably haven't seen Rhodey. No. All right. I, I, I hate it. I, did hate it. I, I thought Ron Eldard was just kind of like a, a, a weak TV actor guy, fairly good looking, but whatever, <laughs> uh, until I saw Rhodey. And I love that guy now. It it almost makes me want to watch Super 8 again just to see the Ron Eldard <laughs> scenes.
1: Uh, he's, he's really, I think he's really good in House of Sand and Fog,
0: too. Oh, you know what? You're right. But he, he is kind of um, – it, it's sort of like the part is written down to yeah, a weaker yeah, yeah, yeah. TV actor. Like he's supposed to be completely S- ineffectual against Ben Kingsley. Uh, maybe not worthy of Jennifer Connelly's character. But you're <laughs> right, Angus. I definitely like him in that. Connelly's as well. in a House of Sand and Fog. Oh no, never no, remember. no! House of Sand and Fog is different. I can't. That's I, like I would be different. surprised, Kelly, Wanda, if you haven't seen House of Sand and Fog with her. Yeah, Jennifer and Connelly I mean, and Ben mm-hmm. Kingsley. <sighs> that would be right oh, up your okay. alley. You know? I'll watch it after. No, watch Roadie. Oh,
1: <laughs> that's a great choice. I did not know. As you were starting this, I I, just, I penciled in where I thought you were going. Ah, yes. Um, and it was not that I thought you were going somewhere else. And Roadie is. Uh, I I totally. I didn't even think about
0: Roadie. It's great. Uh, can you say where you thought I was going? Would that be a spoiler?
1: Uh, no, I, I don't think it's not a spoiler because we're done now. Um, the, I thought you were going with to Almost Famous. Um oh, right. but, but I love – I it, once you – as you as you went on, I went, oh, I scratched that out and wrote Roadie because I knew that's where you – and
0: Rody's just such a good movie. I, I would just wish more people would watch
1: it in that moment where he's lying there. Yeah,
0: it's great. That's great. I wish yeah. Joe Hennessy would do more movies. Man, she was good. You actually – She just gave me a, like a burned copy of an episode of Crossing Jordan after I saw Rody. He was like, oh, yeah, Joe Hennessy's really good here. It's like he was keeping it for a special occasion or something. <laughs> No, you're Brian, ready for this. <laughs> Brian Cranston, stupid
2: TV actors.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute. Not, there are good actors on TV, Kelly Warren, but TV actors are a specific type. Uh, that's not to say all mm-hmm. actors on TV are bad. Wait, but you're a TV actor. It's just weird. It's Nobody's like Sherlock Holmes guy. Kelly Warren, that's, that's actually – I'm not even that. Nobody's putting me in movies, and they shouldn't. Yes, if I was in a movie, you'd be like, oh, look at that TV actor. You're oh, better than Kate Upton. And Dwayne Johnson. But, uh, Kelly Wand, Kelly is that a pass? <laughs> Maybe. Paul Weimer writes... Just tap it. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Weimer writes, I did have to work a little harder for this one, but I came up with a trio of phonograph uses in movies and left one obvious Wes Anderson movie on the table. He doesn't hmm. say which of the obvious ones. Yes, it is. In Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Az- Azkaban, Azkaban? Oh. Uh, the scene where the students learn to deal with the shape-shifting Bogart, what? I love that Tom Esther said this. The scene <same laughs> where the students learn to deal with the shape-shifting Bogart has big band musical accompaniment, which is actually playing for the characters in the scene on a wind-up phonograph that Professor Lupin cranks up. The peppy music coming from the record player <laughs> punctuates a sequence of transformations as the students learn to deal with their embodied fear of the Bogart by changing, into a ridic- by changing it into ridiculous forms.
2: Uh-huh. Wait, there's a monster in Harry Potter three called a Bogart.
0: I don't know if that's Harry Potter three, but apparently, yeah. Oh
2: page. You know what? It's it's probably Bogart because I think it's it's Bogart. Yeah, Boggart. that's what it was called in Cold Sept, bro. And Cold Sept Saga. All right,
0: <laughs> then it's a real thing. So Harry Potter stole it from Cold Sept. Like everything. Paul Weimer's number two pick. In Man on the Moon, Andy Kaufman, played by Jim Carrey, uses a phonograph and a record playing the Mighty Mouse theme song Mm. It's the backbone of his subversive stint as a musical guest on Saturday Night Live. See, biopics shouldn't count for any category ever. Thing is, what do you think of this? Paul Weimer's number one pick. In Equilibrium, an old phonograph Mm. and the playing of a Beethoven record, Ninth Symphony, Movement One, is is an important milestone in John Preston's story as the sorrowful music moves him to something alien.
2: That one sounds like one of Dingus's. It really
0: does. It reminds me of something that I
2: would have chosen
0: Airplane? Peter Haynes writes I can only think of a couple, so here goes. I I like this. Peter, great pick. Susie brings her little brother's battery-powered record player along in Moonrise Kingdom. It's a neat little package. You (laughs) let that slide.
3: Neat
1: little package. It's a
0: package. It's a neat little package complete complete with carry case and strap. Too bad little bro won't be able to listen to his Benjamin Britten breakdowns back at the old homestead. Also packed in spare batteries. Peter Haynes writes, Those scamps really did think of everything. God, why does everything sound dirty to me now? (laughs) Uh, Let's see, Peter (laughs) Why
2: does everything sound dirty to me now? Why can't you just be happy for me? Why can't you just be dirty to me? Awesome.
1: Does, does it, isn't there something at the end of the end of Moonrise Kingdom where where like the parents assure that she can never take the record player again or something?
0: Um, they, oh, never mind. Go ahead, tape around it. So uh, I don't. Does this work? I'm, I think Peter Haynes might be confused on this one. Let me read it to you guys and see what you think. Uh, Peter Haynes writes, "Danny Gopnik's player." Oh, no, no, of course, I was thinking of the radio. Danny Gopnik's player used not only to learn the sung words of his bar mitzvah ceremony, but also to play contraband deliveries from the Columbia Record Company in... Serious? Say it, Dingus. Serious Band? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. There's that great phone call that uh, Michael Stuhlberg makes to the Columbia Record Company. Yeah. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's great. So Peter, writes, I thought Peter was confusing his transistor radio, but yeah, very good. So Peter writes, uh, "It's a reminder of the distant past when, to listen again to a specific part of a recording, you had to hook your finger under the bar of the needle head and lift it back before dropping it, oh so delicately, down onto the vinyl." Yeah, that's the scene where he's listening to the recording for his bar mitzvah. That's awesome. Right. Uh, a scratched record was scratched forever, so people just had to take more care back in the day. Very. Everything good. was made of vinyl. Bean bags were made of vinyl. Condoms. Food. Uh, Arthur Giovanni writes, number three, My Fair Lady will likely be disqualified because it's based on a musical that is based on a play that was previously made into a movie. All of that aside, the final scene with Henry Higgins listening to a recording of Eliza Doolittle is still something I remember, despite not having a taste for musicals. Hmm. Are those the Greek names from Pygmalion? Don't know. I don't. I don't know Pygmalion or I. I know a little George Bernard Shaw, but not that. And I certainly don't know any of My Fair Lady.
2: So I have a little uh, Frenchman in me.
0: Kellyanne, yeah. what do you think of Arthur Giovinangeli's number two pick? It is. Let me to tell you now. Oh, okay, go ahead. It is The King's Speech. Yeah. Jeffrey Rush uses nice. a phonograph player to get Colin Firth to recite To Be or Not To Be. His setup is very well thought out and was probably very high-tech for the period in which the movie is set. Firth later listens to a recording that Rush made of his recitation and has an important change of heart. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? It kind of freaked me out when he put marbles in his mouth because it seemed like a choking
2: hazard. Such a great choice. I I knew I couldn't remember
1: how it was used in King's speech, and I couldn't, I couldn't actually watch it this week. But I was so hoping somebody would bring that up. I'm so excited that happened.
0: Well, the person who brought it up isn't the guy who picked that movie as his number one movie of the year. I don't remember
2: there being records in
0: that movie. I didn't know (laughs) they
2: existed yet. It was World War II. Well, he was a DJ. I mean, the king was
1: like totally spinning.
0: Uh, Dingus, what do you think of Arthur Giovanni and number one pick, which is Miller's Crossing? Mm. Uh, Albert Finney relaxes whilst listening to a favorite song and then is forced to deal with some would-be assassins. I love the opulence of his golden machine and how easily he goes from reading the paper in bed to shooting people in the head.
2: (laughs) Ah, very nice. Miller's Crossing's come up a record number of times tonight.
0: Very good, Kelly Ward.
2: Thank
0: you. David Henderson writes, Hi, Tom Chick, Christian mron and Kelly Wand. I guess so. Here, here's a quotation from my pick of a phonograph in a movie. The quotation is, What manner of man is this? Uh, or David still, or the record stood still. Keep, yes. Keep going. Uh,
2: what's the line again? I
0: forgot. Sorry, you've missed your chance. Wait, wait. Uh, uh, it's, uh, the line, it's, 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 the line okay. is, What manner of man is this? And David Henderson writes, these are the first words that Dr. Seward speaks into a phonograph cylinder when he's re- recording his research about an upstanding businessman who returned from business in Transylvania and, quote, is now obsessed with some bloodlust, end quote. There's records of that? The movie is Francis Ford Coppola's adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. This pick is not an example of a phonograph appearing in a movie that takes place in an age of CDs or MP3s. But I appreciated seeing a phonograph as a recording device. The phonograph cylinder is shown briefly, but the scene starts with the camera focusing on the moving parts of the device. So, yes, Kelly Wand, apparently there
2: are. Mary Had a Little Lamb,
0: they sexed
2: up into vampires for the movie version. Uh, cri- what? Because remember, that was the first thing that was recorded, wasn't it? Mary Had a Little Lamb on, like, the first
0: needle. What was the first telegraph message that was sent? uh Watson, i dropped my pipe <laughs> chris m <laughs> writes hey guys this seemed like a fun topic for my first submitted picks in a three by three welcome chris uh he says try as i might i couldn't find any instances of record players in prometheus so i chose uh-uh. three instead all right chris m giving us a hard time already Sweet, i choose to believe i don't know what to make of this guy but let's see Oh, I do like his number three pick. Uh, My number three pick is from Ghost World, where Enid Mm -hmm. plays the old blues album she brought from Seymour. After getting rid of the green dye job, Enid is in the bathroom when Devil Got My Woman by Skip James starts to play. Ah, Almost immediately, she is taken with the song. She walks back into the bedroom, and there's a very nice shot of the record player, and you can see how physically warped the record is as it plays on the old player. The camera slowly moves in a semicircle around Enid as she stands still and just listens to the song. An enjoyable scene, made all the more enjoyable by the song being played on the record player.
2: See, Stibasimi seduced her using 1920s songwriting.
0: Shouldn't Scarlett Johansson have been the lead in that movie? Uh, no? Well,
2: then you have the hot girl as the main. Oh,
0: okay, fair point.
2: Kind of, it's like uh, Warm Bodies, where the hotter girl's the sidekick.
0: She's less famous at that point. Fives. Uh, Chris M's number two pick is what he calls a movie I was lucky enough to watch when I was around ten. When it seemed like a, when it seemed badass, but not so much anymore. Still, he says it's a guilty pleasure. And here's a quote from the scene I picked. Uh, all right now, for all I'm not, I don't know what this. All right now, for all you boppers out there in the big city, all you street people with an ear for the action, I've been oh jeez, <laughs> I've been asked to relay a request from the Gramercy Riffs. It's a special for the Warriors. That's the real live bunch from Coney, and I do mean the Warriors. Here's a hit with them in mind. Then we cut to a hand lowering the needle onto the record, and Nowhere to Run by Arnold McCuller begins to play. Uh, It's from the Warriors where the DJ first puts out the message that the Gramercy riffs are looking for the Warriors. It's not subtle, but I think it effectively conveys the predicament that the gang is in. (laughs) Uh, Kelly Wan, how do you think the Warriors holds up? Um... I think it would have been better as a come out and play. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping that Purge Anarchy inherits the mantle of the Years War. It is. That's what it wants to be. Yeah, we'll can. We uh, we'll see. July 18th, I believe. Oh, I thought of a good one. Uh, hold that thought, Kelly Wan, because Chris M's number one pick, he says he fears that it has no doubt been picked by someone else. Uh, he does a bunch of dialogue from it that I don't feel like reading because it's two characters and I can't do voices like Kelly Wand, uh, <laughs> but it ends with the sweet sounds of Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time by The Delphonics. It's in Jackie Brown, the morning after Odell comes over to talk to her. Max comes over to her house to collect his gun, and as she makes him coffee, she asks him if he wants to hear some music. The song fades into the background after about 25 seconds. But it certainly is symbolic of her effect on Max during the movie. Also, I love the line, "I don't get new stuff that often."
2: Is uh, he bridge Bridget Fonda?
0: Uh, no, no, that's uh, that's uh, Fred, not Fred Ward. Is it Fred? Uh, Fred uh, Frederick Robert Forrest. Is that his name? Frederick no, Forrest. Uh, uh, for Frederick Forrest.
2: For, what's us, what's
0: that guy's name, name again? It's, it's like Fred McCurry. Ward. But
2: now you guys it's a Frederick
0: Forrest and it, yeah. Jackie Brown. Am I? Not? Uh, Come on, you guys. No. No, it's not. Well, it's Pam Greer and – I'm going to cheat – Pam Greer and Robert Forster. Robert Forster. (laughs) Robert Forster. (laughs) Ian Forster's Uh, – That
1: was his big comeback. That was a big
0: deal. Past India. Max Cherry. Uh, Got Got it. Uh, Thank you for those, Chris. Uh, Next, we have Rhiannon McLean saying, here are the three uh, best photograph bits from films. Number three – after shopping for new records, little Alex takes two girls back to frolic in his wicked cool bedroom. Mm. His record player is the best. It looks like this. And then the this is a link I could click on, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, I do know what that is. Good Lord. Genghis probably doesn't know what it is because I, I don't think he's ever seen this He hasn't? Uh, and isn't the song that plays the William Tell Overture? <laughs> uh, she, she doesn't tell us, but it's uh, it's Clockwork Orange. William Tell Overtures and Clockwork Orange. During the sex scene, which is sped up super fast. So thanks, Stanley Kubrick. God, it's been forever.
1: I have seen that. I bothered to watch it two years ago.
0: Oh. I think this is a... Sounds pretty excited. Orange Cherry has been broken. Uh, Hey. Rhiannon McLean's number two pick. Record players seem to pop up in a lot of horror films to play spookily by warping and slowing down and sticking at parts and stuff like that. In Thirty Days of Night, some pretty scary vampires break into a couple's home, and one of the vampires plays their record player by using his long, creepy fingernail as the stylus. Uh, that's oh, a good nice. date. Then they all howl along. <laughs> what a bunch of dicks, huh? <laughs> vampires dicks. are dicks historically, Kelly Wand. <laughs> They have uh, that kind of power. That's—I thought that was even too powerful for vampires. Everyone, vampires can do all kinds of stuff. Vampires can even make cold fusion generators. We have found out in a recent movie. Is that the Keanu Reeves one? Keanu Reeves is a vampire. Yeah. Ryan and McLean's number one pick is in. Oh, vampires! Kelly Wand, can even write Shakespeare. True story. Oh, uh, well, I didn't that, that. From the, and, uh, and Schubert. <laughs> for Coppola.
2: But <laughs> only the adagio.
0: Uh Rhiannon McLean's number one pick In the Adams Family, Gomez and Fester <laughs> take a fun trip down to the vault that involves choosing a book and then pulling a chain and going down a helter-skelter and finally <laughs> rowing a gondola through the misty water. While they row Gomez puts a record on the boat's gramophone and has a sing. Then she writes, later nerds <laughs> yeah. I think that, was, that was to you too <laughs> Uh, I like that. I'm an Adams family apologist, Tom. You really are, aren't you? Yeah. I like that Rhiannon McLean writes that they have a sing. That's a very British yeah. oh, that I'm going to start using thing? that. They have a sing. I think that's an idiom yeah. that is only unique. Uh, that It might be English, but I like that she does that, and I'm going to start using that as an affectation.
2: I th- American catchphrases never make any sense, I've noticed. Like
0: YOLO doesn't make sense to me. I don't even know what that one is. Chris yeah. Hornbossel writes... Uh, he says this is such a great category and one which lies near and dear to his heart. We actually know Chris, and he's a super hardcore like music guy, so I, I can imagine there are a lot of phonographs in his early childhood. Uh, Chris writes, number three, uh, the quote is, what came first, the music or the misery? I'm guessing at least Dingus knows what that's from.
1: Uh, yes, I do. That, that's the the opening image that I was talking
0: about. Yep. So this is, uh, Chris says, this is the opening scene of High Fidelity.
1: Yes. John
0: Cusack is listening to You're Going to Miss Me by the 13th floor elevators on the turntable. What I dig about this scene is that the movie starts out in black screen and then does a touchstone title card. But while that's happening, we hear the unmistakable sound of a needle hitting the grooves of a record. Yeah. I also love that the character is listening to a 1960s garage rock on headphones as his long-term girlfriend is packing up to move out. Mm. But
1: it's just such a gorgeous picture. I mean, and I watched this the the other uh, last night. I came in, I just I, and I told you, Tom, I'm so in love with this movie, and were, I, I I was watching High Fidelity. And I'm just so crazy about how well this movie is made. And the other thing that I love about it, and this sort of groups into what Daniel Stern is doing when he's yelling at Ellen Barkin, is that Rob is reorganizing his record collection based (laughs) on autobiographical means. And and his friend comes in and he's like, oh, I can hang out with you and help you with that. I mean, he's just as part of getting over the breakup he's taking his records all down off of the shelves and reorganizing it and the, and the, the only thing that kept me from uh, and I have no problem with, with Chris choosing this because it's, it's just such a beautiful image it's just that um, it's, it's that this movie is more about records than about record players
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. and Francis McDormand throwing them out wait no Francis McDormand that's almost famous you get those mixed up. Sorry. Off. Spoiler. I was actually reading ahead in Chris's email and screwed something up. Never mind. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Moving on. <laughs> uh, th- here's a quote from a movie. See if you guys can guess this movie. Uh, the quote is, listen to Tommy with a candle burning and you'll see your entire future. <sighs> This quote is the sister's instruction to William Miller in Almost Famous. This one always hits home for me personally, since I'm 13 years younger than my three older brothers. When I was seven and decided rock and roll was cool, it was listening to their copies of Tommy that did it for me, just like it did for William in the film. I love the old-fashioned felt-covered speakers on the self-contained, dun-colored record player. What I also love is that the label for Tommy that we see in the shot is the DECA Black and Rainbow Spectrum label that the album originally came out on. It matches exactly the copy my brothers owned, which I clandestinely played while they were at college. MCA bought DECA in the mid-'70s, and ever since then, Tommy has only been issued on an MCA imprint. It's a tiny detail, but an authentic one that Cameron Crowe stuck into the movie for his fellow music geeks, and it was much appreciated. Uh, doesn't Frances McDormand like throw away his albums or something? Yeah, because she's a religious person. Yeah, like, and, and specifically, doesn't she single out Simon and Garfunkel as being evil?
2: <laughs> yeah, because they're high. She points.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> look at these guys; they're stoned.
2: <laughs> Wow, she's going to be throwing a lot of records then, won't
0: she? Dingus, Chris Hornbostel's number one pick, uh, tell me if you recognize this. You wouldn't put the Charlie Parker in with the rock and roll, would you? (laughs) So, Chris Hornbostel picks a killer line from the great fight scene between Beth and Shrevy in the movie Diner. He writes, I covet madly the record player in this scene, the sound engineer for the movie, Perfectly captures the warm sound of the vinyl, and the huge Motorola tone arm brings back a ton of memories of my parents' big console record player from back then. Also, a great scene because of the fight. You have Shrevy wailing about how Beth never asks him what's on the flip side like his friends do, and it's such a perfectly believable metaphor. Even more devastating is when Shrevy, storming out of the house, tells Beth that at the party when he met her, ain't that a shame was playing. Ouch. Gretchen Grasshoff says, because Tom didn't clarify it, it, had to be the original cylinder phonograph style, I'm guessing he's gonna get some record player entries intermixed with grandpa movies. <laughs> oh I see. She says she even cites the Wikipedia entry which says the phonograph, also called Gramophone or Record Player, is a device introduced in eighteen seventy seven for the recording and reproduction of sound recordings. Huh. Uh yeah I don't what do you call
1: I I had somebody give me grief about that this week too because of where the spring is because yeah. of where the spring is yeah how how it, how it plays it's in the needle that a phonograph and a record player are necessarily the same thing so I wouldn't look ah. at it, yeah. well,
2: well Tom laughed at me for saying a gramophone was a phonograph
0: didn't you Uh, probably not cool. <laughs> Gretchen Gresshoff's number three pick, the quote is Richie, that looks horrible. And it's from Royal Tenenbaum's. Yes. A sweet little scene about playing records in a tent while declaring love to your sibling. Like adopted daughter, Margot Tenenbaum. Uh, Gretchen's number two pick, the line she provides is In the end, the answer was so simple it took a week to come up with. We called them on the telephone. Mmm, see? Yeah, very good. Uh So this is from Virgin Suicides. Gretchen writes, I love this telephone music game. The boys and girls spend their day communicating through their records as if each song were a love letter. Oh, that's true. Um, I, I'm not going to be able to pronounce some of this, but I'll try it. Gretchen's number one pick. The line is, groping under the photo booth is Nino Quincampois.
1: Ah, oh, yeah, that's a great one from Amelie.
0: Yeah, very good. What is Nino? It's,
1: it's it's King Kampl.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, so that's
1: when she falls in love with him. That's a great one.
0: Well, Gretchen writes as she enters the subway station uh, in Amelie. She's drawn to the music being played on a phonograph, which leads her to, to which leads to her discovering her love. Super girly pick, but I love this song in this movie so much. Dingus has my back on this, right?
1: Absolutely, Uh, she she's wandering down, and it's a blind man playing. And and what what's so funny about it is that instead of uh, actually being a musician playing something, he has a record player sitting on his lap with a little cup next to it. And so he's playing a record player in his lap, and she puts coins in the cup for like it would be like you like (laughs) holding a boombox or
0: something. Are you allowed to do that? That doesn't seem what you can't. That's not how you're supposed to panhandle. No, but she's so attracted to the music that she she's drawn down to it, and she
1: sees Nino Kim Kompua, like reaching underneath the photo booth, like just beyond the blind guy. That's a great pick.
0: And panhandle- so half, oh. halfway between busking and panhandling, technically, I guess. Yes, Carolyn. <laughs> yeah. Well, panhandling is good with the record
2: player because they can toss the coins like onto the actual because it's got that cover that's kind of like the panhandle thing, like the turntable.
0: Wouldn't that scratch the record? Look, it's not the perfect system. <laughs> Aaron Vaughn writes his number three pick. Uh, let's see. He writes record player, phonograph, old-fashioned CD player. Here are my choices for the best instance of these kinds of things. Uh, sorry, old-fashioned CD player. We will have to disqualify, Aaron, if you use that. It's, <laughs> I swear, kids these days. They think a CD player and a record player – oh, pfft. <laughs> Uh, Aaron's number three pick, Moonrise Kingdom. When Sam and Susie are on the beach, they spend the evening listening to music and dancing at camp. It's a great use of a portable phonograph player because this scene happens to feature Susie's kitten peeking out of her bag next to the player. I love that. (laughs) Uh, His number two pick, Man on the Moon. Jim Carrey doing Andy Kaufman singing the Mighty Mouse theme song. It's old. It's new. It's a biopic with historical audio devices present. Uh, oh, let's see if Aaron's going to jump a shark here. His number one pick is Looper. Uh, <laughs> Tom introduced this topic by calling people hipsters for using phonographs in film these days. Science fiction Lo- ones, yes. Looper fits the mold by being both current but also featuring the old technology as something expensive and cool, a relic for future hipsters to throw tens of thousands of dollars at and probably blog about or talk about on a podcast. Uh, fun fact – The model – I think he's talking about the movie. The model shown in Looper is a Gyro SE with RB300 Tone Arm. Oh, yeah. On a recent eBay auction, one of these went for (laughs) $1,424.79. Apparently, Aaron looked it up on eBay. (laughs) Uh, Josh is writing in with his three picks. He says, what's up, guys? Had a good time with this one, but I'm kind of a stickler for definitions like chick – So I thought I'd share my finding, namely that phonograph and gramophone are apparently the same thing. Mm. Mm, Take that, Gretchen Gresshoff. Oh, my God. Uh, Having cleared that up, the rest of my preface is just that – actually, wait. Did he agree with her or with me? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Josh writes, having cleared that up, the rest of my preface is just that I did all old horror stuff, which is my personal bag. Then he writes, can't read this out loud because I don't normally cuss in public. But he writes, brace yourself, brace yourselves, mfers. Wait, hang on, I got yes. it. It's I write that out. Son of a bitch. So Josh's number three pick is Horror of Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he writes. I'm a big Dracula fan, and this is a good rendition. Christopher Lee plays the Count, all height and glare, and Cushing makes an intense and debonair Van Helsing. The relevant scene has Cushing chilling in a burgundy velvet smoking jacket, listening to a phonograph playing back his own voice memos regarding all the vampire shit he's figured out so far. My favorite scene in this Dracula is the one with freshly vamped Lucy trying to. Catch a little kid in a graveyard. It's barely dusk in the scene, probably a budget thing, but somehow extra freaky because of how jarring it is. And Lucy gives this terrifying bang smile. Uh, she well, can't catch a kid. I guess not. And why is the kid in the graveyard
2: by itself? I'm just asking.
0: Kelly Wan, you'll uh, this is a Hammer film from 1958, so I'm sure you can find it uh, maybe on uh, VHS. Oh, it's warmer. It's warmer on VHS. Uh Josh's number two pick. I don't know what this is. It's another 1958 <laughs> Hammer film called. and I would, I would, if you had, if you had asked me, hey Tom, I'm going to give you a movie title, and you have to guess if it's a real movie title or if I'm just making it up. And you had told me this movie title, I would have said, no, you're making that up. There's no way a movie was ever called that. But apparently, there's a 1958 Hammer film called The Snorkel. <laughs> Wait, I thought that was a Jim Henson movie. So, uh, Josh writes, another hammer chiller. This one opens on a shot of a phonograph record playing chamber music. The song ends and the needle hisses in neutral before a hand from out of frame lifts it up. What follows is a wordless sequence featuring a man moving around a manor room full of antiques, making preparations to murder his wife. <laughs> asleep on the Chesterfield. The snorkel. The snorkel. Uh, making preparations to murder his wife asleep on the Chesterfield by turning on the gas and sealing the room. The scene culminates with a shot of the man sitting in a chair in the dark, wearing a snorkel mask attached to hoses, feeding him air from the outside of the house, watching his wife die. See, Kelly Wand? That sounds really creepy now that he explains it. Uh. So the snorkel, yes. Uh, And uh, Josh's number one pick, uh, this is a relatively new film compared to those other ones, the 1978 movie The Abominable Dr. Five. Oh, yeah. I like that movie. So uh, Josh says this one is going to sound made up. Uh, No, we know that's a movie. Right. Unlike the snorkel. Uh, Josh nice. writes, <laughs> that's too far-fetched. Uh, Vincent Price plays the titular doctor, a lunatic organ-playing genius who takes revenge on the medical professionals he blames for the death of his wife by theme murdering each of them to the ten plagues visited on ancient Egypt. I mean, that, every, people know this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, he then continues, Dr. Fives was believed to have died in a car accident, but instead only lost his voice which he tricks by wiring his throat to a phonograph he communicates through, oh, which yes. means Price just eyeballs the hell out of everybody while his recorded voice plays in the background. The second death is a guy getting murdered by the cutest bats I've ever seen. They look like little crippled puppies. I think they're fruit bats. <laughs> 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 That's how they get yeah. Yes, though so. Venus flytraps look cute. Uh, runners up from you guys wait can i change my number one nope (laughs) but if you could (laughs) what would it be if you could pick it what would it be wait why is that a rule i don't understand why can't i just go look i'm a vote of the three by three kelly one you already gave us your number one you had all week to change it it has now been entered into the log uh because we record these on wax cylinders and there's no way to re-record Once the
2: vinyl's been
1: grooved it's grooved
0: exactly but Uh, kelly one if you could change it what would you change it to
2: my number one would be, if I could, uh, In Close Encounters, the beginning, when the aliens possess Barry's record player and it plays that Sesame Street song about squares. Because that was me thinking, oh, the aliens
0: are learning
2: how we teach geometry to our young.
0: I do like that pick, Kelly one, but I'm afraid you can't pick it. Sorry. Why?
2: Because it I gave like us, it thing. tapped into our fears of Sesame Street. Are or you like, sure
0: that Barry didn't have an eight-track
2: player? Uh, he did, but it was in the car <laughs> Very good. that we all stoned.
0: <laughs> all right, so if no, run, no other runner up. I, I have one yes. other runner up. Uh, do you guys remember the
1: phonograph in? It's <laughs> almost made my, my list. I love this one. Uh, do you guys remember the phonograph in Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters?
0: No. Oh my god. Oh uh, wait, yeah, I do.
2: It's when they make that mannequin to trick. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> the phonograph. What's it playing, though? I can't remember. Is it singing? Like a lady? No,
1: it's just playing, Baby.
2: Daddy, Daddy. Yeah, it's a kid's voice
1: somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So they use a pumpkin head on the it's mannequin. A kid, that's
2: my question. They it's just get a kid
1: It's just this weird, like,
0: a medieval phonograph record. I like that, yeah, so that much. It's a, yeah, it's a crucial part, dingus, when you're crafting a witch decoy. In Medieval times, yeah. that's how they had to trick uh, witches. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. There were no phonographs in Medieval Times, so there are no phonographs
2: at Medieval Times. That's the one true part of that scene. Tom, <laughs> um, have you ever heard of Dancing Mania where it was like this Medieval thing where people just dance until they, they died? <laughs> <laughs> is this is this a, a Hammer film from 1958? Oh, it's what I'm saying. They, <laughs> no one knows why it happened even. like Scientists are still baffled by it but it's like entire cities would start dancing for no reason. Until they died. Until they died. They'd have heart attacks, and they'd break ribs and shit, and they would attack
0: non-dancers nearby. I don't believe a word of this.
2: I swear to God.
0: Look it up. Kelly, <laughs> I believe that you believe it. <laughs> it's, called, it's called a St. Vitus's Dance. So so what's it called? Dance fever, you're saying? So Google Dance Fever, and this will come up? Google St. Vitus's Dance, <laughs> and then it's like...
2: No no medical condition can account for it, and it was, like, well-documented, and it would take place all throughout Europe, like, for 300 years. And all just,
0: throughout Europe for 300 years? You're saying people? Yeah. Routinely, entire cities would routinely dance themselves to death. Yes, and no one knew why, and no one still knows why. And
2: then it died out. It started around 1300, and then it just stopped around 1700.
0: Tell me, one, this is the sort of exactly the sort of thing I would expect from someone who believes the Earth has only a single circumference. See, that
2: can be proven, but the dance mania thing is in the past. Isn't that the the basis of they they shoot horses, don't they? Why doesn't anyone believe my history, the world?
0: (laughs) Well, Dingus, what do you have for us for a 3x3 next week? Uh, Next week is your favorite interrogations. Uh. Kelly Wan, do you have any questions? Because if so, I bet Dingus won't answer them.
2: I I bet he
0: won't even allow you to ask them. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, so interrogation – so can we, oh, can I ask a question, but, but Kelly Wand can't? Can I have special permission to ask her? That seems fair. Sure. So Dingus, it, interrogation could because – Gretchen Grasshoff might look this up on Wikipedia and be a stickler with the definition, Dingus, and you don't want that happening. I can tell you from experience, you do not want Gretchen Grasshoff showing you up on definitions. But then so, a guy will tune in to <laughs> back you up. I do want to point out that interrogation could be just a single question. So, Dingus, when I said, "Can I ask you a question?" that was technically an interrogation. Uh, so do you? So basically, what I want to say is, do you have anything to say to head off? some shenanigans Kelly Wand might pull by further elaborating.
1: Uh, I, I would just say and I would ask you to to uh honor the spirit of this because <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: uh, right. I got the idea while watching Equilibrium ah. when uh Christian Bale is in a room with the lovely and incredible Emily Watson. Emily Watson yes. and he's uh questioning her and it's a back and forth questioning session in a room, so I would like you to uh, to respect the idea because I think everybody knows what I mean when I say your favorite interrogation.
0: Hold on, I have to write a few down that are just I'm I'm just thinking of scats of them. This there's going to be a lot of ties. Can we change this from a three by three to like a three by ten? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> just there's six. so many good ones because in movies there really are. It's, there's
2: it's it's dr- It's like free drama because you just have to have people talking. To get dramatic tension, so it's, and it's like,
0: less boring than a courtroom scene, too. Right, yeah. Uh, All so, right, so what's that? Kelly well, you can, it can
2: turn violent, too. So it's really the best, like every scene should be
0: an interior. Oh, you just made me think of one. Hold on.
2: Yes. Yeah, and I'm sad oh, that I can't so use
1: because because there, there's there's this there's a really great moment. I mean, I I'm really surprised at how much I like Equilibrium, and I'm really happy that I got to watch it again. And I'm happy that was it Paul who chose it as well. Oh, I yep. can't remember. Um, uh, I'm happy somebody else caught that because uh, because e- I think Equilibrium doesn't get enough
0: attention. I think it's maybe you should go back then and watch Ultraviolet, Kurt Vimmer's previous movie. All right,
1: that I I, I liked Ultraviolet plenty. I just love Equilibrium.
0: If I was going to see Charlie's Theron movies, Uh, uh, the the very bottom would be A Million Ways to Die in the West. And Young Adult. No, no, Young Adult. See, that's – Kelly I know you're a Young Adult hater, but I I do feel that she's so good in that that it salvages any damage that Diablo Cody might have done.
2: I never blame the actor. I always blame the writer. That's why I think you think I don't like – or that's why I think you like – the other woman too much because you like in it so you're
0: like well you know as long as you see their faces it's good (laughs) i'm gonna get you a t-shirt kelly one that says i never blame the actor i always blame the writer yeah okay fair enough maybe just because that's the only part of it i really get uh if you have any picks for your favorite (laughs) interrogation scenes uh try to keep them to three that's what we're gonna do uh send them to three well because there's so many especially for this one Phonographs, like I, we, and actually, a few people did list some runners up, but I didn't want to scoop anybody's later emails. So if you send in runners up, if you don't, if you just send a list, I may not read the list. Um, if you do want to talk about a pick, you know what? Write as many, but eh, maybe don't hog more than three. I don't know. It's yeah, worth, so that's probably a good idea because we get we get have, are stuck with three, so they should be stuck with three. Very very good, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Uh, so uh, send your picks. And Let's try really, yourself. if you want, if you want to send in more than three, go ahead. I'm going to make Kelly Wan be the bad cop on this. If you want to send in as many as you want, uh, send them to three by three at quarter to three dot com. That's the number three, the letter X, the number three at, and then you spell out quarter to three dot com. Uh, we would love to read them on the air. Uh, next week we are going to do a podcast on a movie partly because, uh, I think we really want Kelly Wan to see it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and also, well, you know, Dingus and I haven't talked about it. So there's a, a movie from a director named Jonathan Glazer, who uh, originally did uh, Sexy Beast, and then he did Birth, and he's finally getting around to his third movie, which is called Under the Skin uh, with Scarlett Johansson. Uh, see that, because we are going to be talking about it on this podcast next week. Mainly, well, another reason we're doing Under the Skin, nobody on this podcast has the slightest desire to see that freaking Spider-Man movie. Not Not even even me. Yeah, not even Kelly Wan wants to see the Spider-Man. That's how unappealing it looks to me. Ouch. And not even Dingus and I. I I think we both are huge Andrew Garfield fans. I would see that guy in almost anything, but I can't stomach watching him in a freaking Mark Webb Spider-Man movie. So I'm afraid, listeners, you're on your own for that one next week. It doesn't
2: even look funny to me. Like, the first one was a laugh
0: riot, I think. Kelly Wan, see, they, they don't have a chimney. They don't even have a fireplace in the house. I so his – him that. saying that he got dirty from soot in the fireplace, that's like absurd humor, right? Isn't that hilarious? Sure, he's an
2: idiot, and she's unobservant. So now he, they basically made both their characters dumbasses. Uh, if you do see Spider-Man – That's uh, the he keeps in his forebrain like,
0: oh, we don't have a chimney. And then – oh, the spider suit it's just my chimney sweep outfit. Uh. Kelly Wand, as a wise man once told me, you should probably blame the writers. <laughs> uh so there's this week's podcast. Uh join us next week for <laughs> sorry. Uh no, that's okay. Join us next week for under the, under the Skin and uh our three x three on favorite interrogations. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Murroski.
1: It's Christian Murowski.
0: Very good. And I got it, I think I got it right that time. And Kelly Wand. Why can't my character be in the new Planet of the Apes movies?
2: <laughs> that was Mark Wahlberg's hop. No.
0: No.
3: No promises No promises No promises No promises We are strong No one can
2: tell us Well, dingus, by our plan, I probably should have said Miller's Crossing.
1: You guys, I think I see a dolphin.
2: Wait, nobody says that ever.